0: Why is this playing? This is supposed to be playing. Not playing. There we go. All right, and welcome to another adventure here on Southern Sense. We're live on Block 12 Radio, SHRM Media, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, live on Facebook, live on YouTube today. Yay, we got that up and running. I'm your hostess with the least most is the radio chick, Eddie, along with my (laughs) oh-so-patient and oh-so-wonderful co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. And congratulations, I've got my new computer actually up. And it looks like the only glitch that is happening is the way I operate it. <laughs> so the clutch is messing <laughs> up already. <laughs> so welcome aboard well, to another time. exciting show. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, we've got a lot going on. We've got Larry Clayman, who's coming back. He has a book out called It Takes a Revolution to Get the Scandal Industry. He's also the uh, founder, uh, former chairman of and founder of Freedom, um, I'm sorry, Judicial Watch. He is now the current chairman of Freedom Watch. And oh boy, we have so much to talk about. Uh, He's had citizen grand juries going on left and right. Holy cow. Uh, The worm has turned, folks. The worm has turned. Uh, We're going to have Mary uh, Borden. She's coming back. She has that group Dance Awareness, No Child Exploited, Uh, and with the crap that's going on on the southern border with the exploitation of these kids. Yes, Chuck, we're also up on Facebook. Um, We're going to have Fred Lucas come back. Uh, He's with the Heritage Foundation's The Daily Signal. Uh, talk about the news. Oh my goodness. And then Jonathan Butcher, he's uh, with the Will Skillman fellow in education at the Heritage Foundation. And he's going to be talking about critical race theory and ideology and kicking it out of the classrooms. So we have a lot, a lot to talk about, Curtis.
1: Yes, we do. And I would like to add that here in Florida, um, our Congress, state Congress, passed a, a bill that's going to go to um, the governor, Ron DeSantis, um, putting restrictions on, you know, the voting um, process. Uh, we're not going to have a repeat of what happened in um, November last year, at least here in Florida. And it would be nice if all the Republican states put restrictions, you know, tighten their um, their control over you know yeah. the voting process
0: yes um we also have here in south carolina it's working its way it's going through the house it's going up to the senate uh this week it's been there then going to governor mcmaster's to sign where we're tightening the laws here also yes. even though we really didn't have very many problems in matter of fact i think a lot of our other states look to how south carolina handled our elections and a lot of them are making their laws very similar to what we have, Um, not as liberal as Georgia, but definitely um, just tightened up any little minor loopholes that we had. And the biggest problem was um, the absentee uh, balloting for those that are in nursing homes. That's where the irregularities really showed up, uh, where one woman knew that her mother could not vote because she had dementia so badly that she wouldn't even know what planet she was on and yet a ballot was cast in her mother's name those are the loopholes that we have to uh, close up here in south carolina because on election day i was getting reports of vans pulling up to nursing homes and people coming out passing around ballots and individuals that were not capable of reading them much less signing them because they were just so out of it because of uh, disease or dementia um, suddenly ballots were being turned in for them. So, you know, it, it happened in all 50 states and the territories, uh, but this is what we have to work on, and this is what our nation is going to have to work on. But, man, there's so much more to talk about. Um, we're going to be talking about, oh, jeez, uh, the uh, the revolution against the Constitution And law enforcement Uh, we're going to be talking about education we're going to be talking about child exploitation we're going to be talking about the latest in the news holy cow we're going to go across the whole spectrum on this show but anyway I
1: like to I like to find out from our guests who they think is going to run for um, president on the Republican side that would be interesting
0: oh well I got a little glitch in my board Um, But right now, rumors have been going around. It's too soon. We're going to have to get through the midterm elections before you really see a field start to form. There's going to be a lot of rumors between now and November.
1: Mitch McConnell.
0: Oh, please, load no, 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 not that.
1: (laughs) That's what I heard.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm having a problem with my headset. I don't need this, guys. All right, let's try that. Are you hearing me?
1: Yeah, I hear you. Curtis, you... Loud and clear.
0: All right, well, I'm Loud not coming through on my head. Oh, there we go. There's got to be a problem in the wiring on my headset because it's getting hinky on me. Something else i got to change. All right. All right, let's try that. Anyway, uh, those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's is gonna be a little bit different. Today's dedication is going to go out to 33 fallen law enforcement officers who died in the line of duty from COVID only during the month of January of this year. I repeat, during the month of January, 2021, 33 law enforcement officers lost their lives in the line of duty due to COVID. And we start off with a dedication to Lieutenant Jeff Bain of the DeKalb County Sheriff's Office in Alabama. Deputy Sheriff Nicholas Howell of Henry County Sheriff's Office in Georgia. Sergeant Randall Sims, Texas Department of Criminal Justice, Correctional Institution Division, Texas. Sergeant David G. Crumpler, Henry County Police Department, Georgia. First Sergeant... Timothy Lee Howell, North Carolina Highway Patrol, North Carolina. Lieutenant William Lyle Gardner, Denver City Police Department, Texas. Conservation Officer Steven Reingard, Iowa Department of Natural Resources, Iowa. Police Officer Arturo Veleges, Alamo Police Department in Georgia. Sergeant Frederick H. Butch, Cameron, Fairfax County Sheriff's Office, Virginia, Detective Sergeant Stephen R. Desfosses, Norton Police Department, Massachusetts, Chief of Police, Tony M. Jordan, Middleburg Borough Police Department, Pennsylvania, Constable Sherry K. Langford, Henderson County Constable Office, Precinct 1, Texas. Lieutenant Trevor Preston, Texas Department of Criminal Justice Correctional Institution Divisions, Texas. Corrections Officer, the fourth, Alfred Jimenez, Texas Department of Criminal Justice Correctional Institutional Division. Police Officer, Jerry Stephen Hempville, Lanier Technical College Police Department, Georgia. Sergeant Edward John Mar- Marcarella Jr. Compton County Sheriff's Office, South Carolina. Lieutenant John Reynolds, Garden Grove Police Department, California. Corrections Officer Joseph A. Martini, Ulster County Sheriff's Office, New York. Warrant Officer Toby Kaiser, Knox County Sheriff's Office, Tennessee. Deputy Sheriff Jake... Juanico R. Navarro, Jr., Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office, Florida. Officer Brian Don Shields, United States Department of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Protection, Officer of Field Operations, United States. Police Officer Hector Moya, Police Department, New Jersey. Lieutenant Robert Van Zell, Suffolk County Police Department, New York. Lieutenant Frank Arnold, California Department of Developmental Services, Office of Protective Services in California. Special Agent Wayne Douglas Snyder, Georgia Department of Corrections, Georgia. Captain Michael D'Angelo Scargian, Gordon County Sheriff's Office, Georgia. Lieutenant Juan Rafael Rivera Padilla, Puerto Rico Police Department, Puerto Rico. Deputy Sheriff Second, Frank gonzalez the III. Tolera County Sheriff's Office, Georgia. Auxiliary Sergeant, Louis M. Libiantino, Jackson Sheriff's Office, Florida. Director of Field Operations, Beverly Good. United States Department of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Protection, Field's of Office Operations, U.S., Union County Sheriff's Office, South Carolina. Sergeant Jeffrey Robert Smith, Berry College Police Department, Georgia. Special Agent Robert Allen Mayer, Jr., United States Department of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Protection, Office of Professional Responsibility, U.S. Correctional Officer Juan Lanes. Miami-Dade County Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation in Florida. Sergeant Grace A. Bellamy, Georgia Department of Corrections in Georgia. These 33 men and women donned their uniforms expecting, if anything, to be injured or die in the line of duty, but never to die from an illness such as COVID. 33 men and women donned their uniforms, protecting and serving the public out there to make sure that we are safe. And in many instances, they did not have enough personal protection gear to protect them. I know in the city of New York, they didn't. I know in other places they didn't. And they laid down their life anyway and protected and served. So today's show is dedicated to these 33 fallen law enforcement officers who died in the line of duty from COVID-19 during the month of January of this year. We dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Harrington, My Name is America. We also dedicate this show to all those that serve as first responders, not just law enforcement, but emergency services and firefighters, as well as those that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into our future. God bless each and every one. All right. There seems to be a problem with the sound. Curtis, can you hear me now? Curtis. I can,
1: I can hear you, and I heard some things in the background, but no music.
0: Oh wow! Oh, that's that's was weird. It, was yeah. it muted? No, no, it was not. Because you're coming in very clear, very loud. That is weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know because it tested last <clears throat> night and tested fine. Huh. All right, well, let's hope we have no problems with our guests, because I'm showing my mixer board lighting up, and Duck, tell us if you can hear us. I think Duck fell asleep. Anyway, um, I got someone listening in Facebook, and they didn't have a problem, it looks like. I don't know if it's uh, Blog Talk Radio then. Anyway, uh, moving right along, we're going to have our guests in about 10 minutes, but I came across this article, and oh my goodness, I heard about some of this last year, but it seems like it's making the rounds again. This one nurse who blew the whistle. Duck says audio is okay on his end. All right. Um, maybe well, it's you, Curtis. <laughs> maybe it's you. I don't know. Anyway, I'm, I'm
1: just
0: listening. <laughs> well, this yeah. nurse blew the wind, the whistle last year, uh, in New York because she told gave reports about nurses that came up were sitting in hotel rooms, uh, for three weeks, they volunteered to come from all across the nation to help New York City with the COVID outbreak because it seemed like New York City was the epicenter. And they sat doing nothing for three weeks, at a, you know, in hotel rooms, being paid $10,000 by the city of New York and the state of New York just to sit there and do nothing. So she started to blow the whistle on that. And also now these nurses were being deployed. Now she's saying that, you know, she was sent to Elmhurst Hospital and she was actually watching the mistreatment of patients and watching patients being listed as COVID when they were tested negative. And she's blowing a huge whistle saying, the, the title of this is, which is on World Net Daily, uh, you can find it at uh, WND.com, it's titled, I Recorded Them Murdering Patients, COVID Nurse Goes Public with Shocker. And um, she said, I recorded just the complete and utter disregard for human life. Now, Curtis, remember last year when I said I was getting reports um, that for every patient that is listed with COVID, the hospital gets X amount of federal dollars. And I said, I believe a lot of these deaths were being listed so the hospitals can get this revenue from the federal government. Well, they're not taking normal patients. They're not taking uh, uh elective procedures. A lot of people weren't even getting their cancer treatments when they needed them because the hospitals were completely shut down because of COVID. So they can't take any new patients in. So how do you get your revenue? You make the numbers fudge. And obviously this report, this brave nurse, uh, her name is Erin Maria Olzowewski. And I'm gonna see if I can find, if I can locate her and maybe see if I can get her onto the show. This is earth shattering. I mean, I said that the hospitals Uh, were going to do this, but she documented it. Now she, she filmed it.
1: Yeah. When I was up in Philadelphia, there was someone who was telling me, um, if I could get my mother listed as having had COVID, the funeral would be paid for, you know, everything, and I, I was curious about that because I told them, well, my mom didn't die from COVID, and um, everything was paid for already. But they insisted, well, you, know, you, you can call this, this 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 doctor, and they will they will say that your mama died from COVID. That that's how crooked it is. This whole
0: thing—that's huge fraud. That is. Right. I would to wonder what the actual numbers. Are for people that actually truly died from COVID, not from, and not from an original thing such as they may have had pneumonia and then contracted COVID, which may have sped it up, or cancer, or ALS, or any other number of myriad numbers of, of underlying reasons why the person would be first in the hospital and in hospice care or nursing home or whatever. But then because if they were dying from something, now COVID came in and maybe just sped it up. So they didn't specifically die from COVID. They may have died from the cancer or whatever. And yet they're listed as COVID. Just for those almighty dollars, okay. our taxpayer dollars. And then, of course, they put everyone into a panic. So now you've got to wear the masks. You've got to get the vaccine when maybe the true number of victims of COVID is maybe one-tenth of what they're reporting. And maybe we
1: may not have had to go down this road this last year and a half. But fraud on behalf of the Democrat party is not new to us. So I really wasn't surprised, but you know, that it's still, you know, it's kind of interesting when people would tell me things like that. Well, you, it's not too late. You can still get it done. (laughs) You know, I mean, that is outright, you know, fraud, like you said.
0: No. And we're also going to be talking about, <coughs> excuse me, with our guest the uh, the speech that President Biden gave before the <clears throat> what we would call a joint uh, convention of uh, Congress. You know, whenever we we have a president, within the first month, you have a State of the Union address, basically stating what this, and this is in the Constitution. In a timely fashion, he must. Uh, address the joint session of Congress, and give them the State of the Union. It's in the Constitution, in a timely fashion. 100 days after he's in office, that's three and a half months later. That's not a timely fashion. I don't know of any president that really took this long to do it. Anyway, um, and, and this thing was not even a State of the Union address. It's basically saying how he's going to further usurp our constitutional rights and undermine the law. So we're going to be talking a lot about that also with some of our guests. And uh, Curtis is already trying to get our next guest in on the line. So like I said, we have a lot to talk about. And and God bless my mom. She's 89 years old, and I'm sure she just put her hearing aids in to see if I'm talking about her. Uh, But she and I watched Biden's speech. And Tim Scott's uh, rebuttal afterwards. <laughs> and, I mean, I love. I love. Sometimes she has such a unique take, unique take on things. But she ends up coming up on the right side, and I mean that in quotes, right side. Um, and you, you, you listen to her, and sometimes it's like, well, I didn't think of it that way, but yeah, maybe that is something we should be considering. So uh, anyway. Um, Curtis is trying to reach our guest, and it's going to be one of those days. Um, Let me see what I'm doing here, getting this off the screen and setting it up for our next guest uh, to come on. And, all right, there we go. And hopefully Curtis can get our next guest coming on the line. Anyway, um, what else do I have? So, oh, yeah, I have to admit, though, Tim Scott nailed it. He gave the perfect pitch. He he said everything that was – this should be the model for future presidential addresses that every rebuttal should hit. I mean, you keep it along those lines. You, you make it personal enough, but you also make it so that everyone in the nation can relate to it. And then what happened to him afterwards? God bless this man. He is my senator. And I have met him, and he is such a sweet guy. Uh, but he was called Uncle Tim all across Twitter for hours on end, and no matter how many people complained to Twitter that like, hey, wait a minute, you don't like racial slurs being slur- you know slammed around, it's okay if it's a conservative or a Republican, but it's not okay if it's one of the woke crowd. How dare the woke you know take an insult? But it's okay to come onto the conservative side because they deserve it. Well, that's what we get for Twitter, which is why I have not been on there very much. Um, So I've been trying to avoid a lot of the social networks, even though I did post today's show. And I want to know who's willing to bet how long we're going to stay up on Facebook and YouTube when I find out that I started off the show discussing COVID and the fallacy of the numbers and what government is not telling us and what government is doing to keep us cowed. So we'll see how long they keep us up there. Anyway, it looks like Curtis is having a bit of a hard time here. He's trying again, so we'll see what happens here. Anyway, um, I have so much more than I have sitting over here also. <clears throat> oh, here we go. And this is great. This is this is a yay for our side. Two Democratic sl- senators slam Biden's handling of the border crisis. Um, Arizona Senators Mark Kelly and Kirsten cinema have broken with President Joe Biden and openly criticized his handling of the border crisis. So do you think do you think anything that Biden wants to do to open the borders is going to pass through the Senate if you have already two Democratic senators siding with the Republicans and maybe it might mean that some of the wishy-washy Republicans like Romney would turn around and realize that uh, maybe they shouldn't go against the Republican leadership. Anyway, want to welcome back onto the show, and if I can get my little clicker to come over here, I want to welcome back onto the show, he is the current chairman of Freedom Watch and the forward chairman of Judicial Watch, Larry Klayman. Good afternoon, Larry. How are you today?
2: Good afternoon to you.
0: I mean, Doing uh, to do- as well as
2: can be expected, living under a communist dictatorship.
0: Oh man. And I'm sure your face must have turned bright red listening to President Biden's speech. And I mean, my mom, God bless her, eighty nine years old, she was turning red and she was getting mad. It's like, Don't throw something at the T V. It costs too much money.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm I'm glad that they shot him up with something to make him lucid for an hour because now at least we know that he knew what he was saying and he's taking the country into a far left socialist borderline communist takeover, which is where we are right now. So I'm glad for the American people to hear it. You know, it came across in in an appealing way, but the communists, you know, do that. You know, the ends justify the means. Wanted to hand out goodies to everybody, and and unfortunately a lot of people in this country like free things, but it's not going to be free in the end, and people are going to be taxed to death, and we're going to be under their complete control, which we already are at this point.
0: Unfortunately, and didn't you love the fact that he said that um, the Bill of Rights was was I'm trying to think of the word he used. What was the word he used, Larry? Um,
1: absolute Meaning
0: that it was not absolute. Oh, oh yeah, no, we could-
2: yeah. There's no. Uh, there's no amendment, amendment to the Constitution that is absolute. Uh, absolute. Yeah, I mean that's that's unbelievable. And then the other thing he said, which was most outrageous, and he uh, slid by this, you know igniting you know more of the race war that Obama started and now he's continuing is to, is to call in effect white people, white terrorists. That's what he did. We're terrorists. We're a biggest threat, bigger threat than Islamic terrorism or anything else. White people is a bigger threat.
0: Yeah, you know, it's absolutely outrageous. And the left just drooled over him, absolutely drooled over him. And, um, Years ago, my husband and I used to watch Fox News and Sunday morning when Chris Wallace would come on. And I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago or so, we just stopped watching it. It's just like, no, he's not a true conservative. He's, you know, he's not even his dad, because uh, even his dad would be more moderate than he seemed to be. So we turned it off The Sunday shows. And we'd watch football or NASCAR or whatever, but he showed his true colors Absolutely, during the presidential election, and now within the interview of of Chris Wallace doing after the the, the speech, I mean, if, if anything, he is as woke. Well, he's as a card carrying.
2: You know, I'm I'm Jewish. I'm Messianic. I'm a Jewish Christian, so nobody can accuse me of being anti Semitic. I'm also a Zionist. Uh, I believe that the land of Israel, the land of Zion, belongs to Christians and Jews. But he is a member of the Jewish left, and the Jewish left is very, very destructive, not just of the United States, but of Israel. And it's time that we, in each of our groups, whether it's Jewish people or African Americans or, you know, you name it, we need to call these people out, and we need to hold them accountable because they're giving us a bad name. And in my case, I believe people like Chris Wallace are fomenting anti-Semitism because they see that he's anti-American. He's a disciple of Karl Marx, of Leon Trotsky, and of others. And you're right, his dad wasn't that way. His dad was – he didn't show his political hand usually, Mike Wallace. You know, he was more interested in exposing, you know, scandal and things like that. But this guy has an ideological bent. He is the darling of Lachlan Murdoch, who was a leftist, who took over Fox News. And when they lost a lot of their viewership, and uh, at MSNBC and CNN was beating them out – in weekly ratings, they decided they would try to push back right, but no one believes them anymore. Uh, so they hire Larry Trump and, and others to try to boost them up. But uh, it's a dying channel. And, you know, the alternative, Newsmax, I mean, that's run by the two-faced Chris Ruddy, okay, because Ruddy, uh, who started Newsmax, gave a million dollars to the Clinton Foundation when it looked like Hillary Clinton was going to win the presidency, and uh, so there's really no outlet out there that represents conservatives. Maybe one American News, uh, Sinclair and their local stations tries to do it, but they have a hard time because their local stations are basically leftist controlled. Uh, there's a, a rule, the FCC rule, that major networks like ABC, NBC, and CBS can control only 20% of the local networks. So Sinclair owns most of the rest, and they have to cater to ABC, CBS, and NBC, but occasionally something slips through. So there's no real voice other than talk radio, where you can say what you actually believe and aren't censored. And then, of course, you have the left, even the conservative media starting to censor itself. It's like a, a Woody Allen movie, Take the Money and Run. When the bullies came after Woody Allen in that movie and would take his glasses off and step on them, after a while he took his own glasses off when he saw them coming, and stepped on them themselves. So what you're doing is really important. It's why I wrote my book, It Takes a Revolution, Forget the Scandal Industry, which you know you can get on Amazon.com and all the booksellers and at freedomwatchusa.org and I'm suggesting peaceful and legal ways to defeat this leftist dictatorship. So that's where we are today. We are under a complete leftist control and the Republican Party watching them Last Wednesday night, sitting there uh, with their hands, you know, under their derriere, uh, looking like, you know, they had nothing to say at all because they've had nothing to say for a very long time. Uh, we have no opposition, and that's why. Also, I've, I'm starting a new political party under a separate organization called the New American Independence Party, and you're invited on July sixth and seventh. Uh, our 245th year since we first declared independence, we're going to declare independence again in Philadelphia at at the Visitor Center across from Independence Hall. And we're doing citizens' grand juries to hold people like Biden, Hunter Biden, and others that are accountable. We're going to indict them. We're going to try them. We're going to seek their conviction. We're going to sentence them and seek to meet it out peacefully and legally because we have no legal system. It's completely abandoned. The American people Much like you know, King George took the legal system back to London, England, in, in colonial days. One of the reasons we declared independence, he, he took our legal system away from us.
0: Well, you know, i got a question because, you know, it dawned on me when I was watching the reports about Giuliani's office and home being raided, shades of Roger Stone at 6 a.m. in the morning. And instead of CNN, it was the New York Times that was witness to it. Uh, at least they called the different news outlet. Do you think this is a precursor to try to stifle Trump from running from office? Do you think they're doing a preemptive strike to say, hey, listen, we went after your people last time, Kate Papadopoulos and Flynn and KT McFarland and how many others did they go after that we don't even remember? Uh, Do you think it's a preemptive strike to say, hey, listen, we still hold all the cards here and we're going to do the same thing we did last time? Yeah,
2: well, it was done last time, during the uh, Trump administration, believe it or not. And he wasn't, Trump wasn't in control of his own Justice Department. If, if the president, who I supported and still support, President Trump, uh, has to be criticized on something, is he didn't take control of the Justice Department, because his attorney generals could have prevented what happened with Robert Mueller. Now, as far as Stone, I have no love lost for Roger Stone, I think. You know, he's a very disreputable individual. I have six lawsuits concerning Stone, who defamed my client, Jerry Corsi, defamed me. Uh, He's recently been indicted again. Not indicted, but uh, sued for alleged tax fraud. Uh, So he's not a good example, I don't think. But what's happening here is that uh, every aspect of government, which is now in control of Biden-Harris, is being used to eliminate conservatives full of faith and those who believe in the vision and creation of our founding fathers. Biden and Harris have turned my once proud alma mater, the Justice Department, into a modern-day Gestapo. You've got them going out there terrorizing people who were in Washington, D.C. on January 6th in support of the president. They've already rounded up 600 of them. They've indicted hundreds already. Uh, most of those people were peaceful people. They were not... Criminals on either side, and they had had it with the corruption in government. That's what I write about in my book. It takes a revolution. They'd had it with a legal system, which is totally corrupt, with federal judges who are bought and paid for by special interests and wouldn't stick their neck out and even give them, give them, give, them, give President Trump a hearing on the, uh, and that included his Supreme Court justices that he bragged about. This is why the people rose up, and now you have the Justice Department. And bar associations like the D C Bar and others, highly leftist, all the presidents, you know, and, and officials of the D C Bar contributed to Clinton, Biden and Obama. And it's a it's a full court press to destroy conservative lawyers, to destroy it like Giuliani, like me. They they're trying with me and with others like Kellyanne Conway and and Bill Barr and others, it's it's an effort to destroy any chance that there'll be opposition. The Bolsheviks, they've taken control. Now there's a bloodletting to make sure nobody can rise up. And you see that also with H.R. 1, which is putting into federal law the same corrupt fraudulent system which elected, I use the word elected in quotes, Biden and Harris. Once the left takes control, they never give it back. And the legislation that they're passing, now all these socialist communist schemes that they've got, which sounds so good because, you know, particularly the kids in this country, hey, you know, it's free. uh, This is great. It'll never be repealed. Once you legislate, much like Obamacare, it never goes away. It's like herpes. It lasts forever. You know, what's the difference Mm. between herpes and true love? Herpes lasts forever. So... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's the situation we're in. I'm using a little humor here because things are so bad, but this is the this is reality in my opinion.
0: Now, I, I've got the H.R. 1 breakdown that was in the Epoch Times in their March 10th edition. I keep it right next to my equipment here. So every now and then I just re- reference to it. Uh, but a lot of uh, states are now uh, putting forth uh, the Tenth Amendment resolutions or legislation to try to take control back from the federal government. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see where and how we're going to go down the road. And you mentioned some of the social programs, especially dealing with the children in Biden's speech. And isn't this exactly what Hitler did? He created kindergarten so he can start indoctrinating children at a very young age. What better way to control society than through the children? Because as they grow up, yeah, they're going to know nothing but yeah, your own, your own
2: Hitler, Castro, I mean look at what Castro did to Iian Gonzalez when Clinton sent him back, turned him into a, a puppet you know for, for the communist regime. That's what they do. I wrote a column a few weeks ago called Biden Harris and the Fourth Reich. You hit on that, is that the people the, the people and groups that propped Hitler up after you know a deep recession after World War I were the German industrialists, the intelligentsia, you know in the universities. Uh, And all aspects of German society, the Mercedes, the BMWs, the lights, which make Leica cameras, Deutsche Bank, which financed the concentration camps, and they kept them in power because Hitler was scratching their backs, you know, reviving them economically, at least for the time being, you know, through his war machine. And we see the same thing today in this country. We see it with Coca-Cola. We see it with Delta. We see it with sports leagues. We see it with labor unions. We see it with corporations. We see it with the universities, they go with the winner. They think that somehow the winner is going to, you know, give them the goodies that are going to make them more profitable, fat and happy. And that's what we're up against right now. And it's why uh, the American people need to rise up. It's why I wrote my book, It Takes a Revolution. Forget the scandal industry. And uh, I'd like people to read it. I want them to read the Declaration of Independence, which says that when the rulers no longer represent the people, the people have a a right under the laws of nature and nature's God to alter or abolish their government and to form a new government with equal rights for everyone in pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. I'm paraphrasing. So we need a new government and we need new political parties. And you can see just watching the Republicans the other night, uh, they're a dead party. It's over for them. It's done. I mean, they got a few people there that are, that are talking, uh, you know, the right game and appearing to do good things like, Governor DeSantis in Florida, uh, but the majority of the party is dead. It's it's finished, and I think people are probably tired of, you know, watching Lindsey Graham and, and uh, you know, Ted Cruz and the rest of them, you know, basically just grandstand on Fox News and raise money for themselves, and then when push comes to shove, in the case of Cruz, even banding the people in his own state when they were freezing and going to Cancun, Mexico. I think that's, he could be the poster boy of the Republican Party.
0: Well, there is a, a movement now at growing dissatisfaction with mainstream America, because I have been keeping alive my tea party now for 12 years. And 12 years we have met almost every month. Uh, and when I had my last one this past Monday, it was fairly packed. And <laughs> they were They were riled. They were riled up. So the Tea Party, I think, in one form or another, is going to rise again. The dissatisfaction we had in 2010, you ain't seen nothing, Dave. I think that then the left is going to be completely shocked by what mainstream America truly wants. And they're already trying to put the boot on our neck. How many people have they arrested now? What, over 600 because of the January 6th breach of the Capitol? And they want to call it an insurrection when there was no weapons confiscated from anyone that was in that breach? And when you have Ashley Babette that was murdered, she was unarmed. Her only crime was trying to climb through a window. Hey, listen, I'm a retired cop. You don't shoot at someone climbing through a window if they do not have a weapon or brandish anything, any sort of a weapon. You stop them. You handcuff them. You don't shoot them dead. So now Chauvin uh, has been found guilty of murder for having his knee on the back of that, uh, what's his name's net. And they were already with uh, civil charges, you know, civil right charges, to slap against him in case he wasn't found guilty. But, oh, wait, you're not going to go against the capital officer that shot an, an innocent, well, not completely innocent, she was trespassing. But, you don't know, for trespassing? I'm sorry, you don't do that. But he's, he's fine. He's fine. But, no, Chauvin has every single thing thrown at him. And what happened? Well, you're right. You're yeah. right,
2: and everything's flipped. Is that uh, you know, uh, whites now and others, uh, we're less than at the back of the bus. I mean, we're we're pinned to the mat. They've got a knee to our head as well, and everything's justified. And there was no showing, you know, whatever the verdict with regard to the Chauvin case. There was no showing there was a racial motivation. These, these two people, apparently George Floyd and Chauvin, had worked together in the past. Who knows what they were doing that caused, you know, antipathy. Uh, between them, but uh, there was no showing of any <laughs> racial motivation. But you've got these whores out there like Benjamin Crump, who barely can speak. This is the guy who represented the Trayvon Martin family uh, and everybody else. Uh, I don't know how the guy passed the Florida Bar. He must have had somebody take it for him. He can't even put a sentence together. Uh, you got people out there just whipping up hatred against white people. And, and, and Biden did it himself, as I said the other night. He, he called white people the biggest threat to this country. I mean, that's unbelievable. And it, see, we're, see, we've, we're seeking, the. we've already indicted Biden on the bribery from, from China, Ukraine, and Russia. Those are our citizens' grand juries. You can watch that every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific at freedomwatchusa.org and Uh We are seeking the indictments of these people, and we're going to indict everybody and try and convict everybody that have gotten off scot-free in the last several decades, including Mitch McConnell, who also took money under the table, laundered by his wife and the, his wife's family, uh, Elaine Chao. Uh, it's not just Democrats, it's Republicans as well. But the Republicans, they're worthless. They do nothing. They just talk. They just go on Fox News. They go on Hannity. They raise more money. And the, the, and the Democrats are pure evil. It's become the party of, of the devil and uh, and they're in
0: total control. Don't get me started on Mitch McConnell because Mm. I take the M off of Mitch and put a B in front of it. And we had General Spaulding uh, about his chapter. We had him on the show uh, about Mitch McConnell and his wife and the the connections she has directly into the Communist Party. And, oh, what about the fleet of vessels that came out of Communist China for Mitch McConnell's company? Oh, just don't get me started. Go ahead, Curtis. Yeah, I'm
1: just playing the devil's advocate, but by branching off into another party, wouldn't that have like a Ross Perot effect? Um, we all remember Ross Perot got in and uh, Clinton actually won, I believe.
2: Well, Curtis, you raise a, a point that a lot of people raise, and I respect your point of view, but let's ask yourself this question. Same thing with the Supreme Court. Uh so what if the Republicans get in power? Who? What have they done? I mean, Trump's not coming back. I mean, people need to forget about that. We need to move on. Trump is going to be indicted by this rabid leftist, foaming at the mouth prosecutor, in New York, Cyrus Vance, son of Cyrus Vance, who so screwed up foreign affairs during the Carter administration, he was Secretary of State. That's going to tie President Trump down. It's going to be criminal, and. That's why they're going after Giuliani, too. That's why they're going, every, going after everybody that will stand up to them. And the answer is no longer at the ballot box, I'm sorry to say. It's not. And that's why I am in favor of declaring a new government and starting the new. And we need to start getting that across to the American people. We have the right to form our own government. This government does not represent us. They do not. And that's why I hope you'll be there and everybody will be there on January 5th and 6th in Philadelphia, where we're going to begin that discussion at the Visitor Center across from Independence Hall on the on the second floor. There's a great backdrop of Independence Hall. I want the symbolism on the 245th anniversary of our declaring independence, because it doesn't matter who you put in as a Republican. They're not going to do it. They've got to deal with their party. Look at what the party did to Trump. They stabbed him in the back. Vice President Trump's, uh, Pence is trying to resurrect himself. He was like Brutus in the Roman Senate. He stabbed Trump in the back. He's, he's a total phony. And, you know, what did Trump ask for, just to get an audit of what was going on? He didn't ask to overturn the election. And, and Pence had that had ability to do that. He didn't do it, you know, because he was worried about his own standing. And look at the Supreme Court justices, you know, Comey, Barrett, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch. Look how they abandoned him. You know, this was his crown jewel. These people threw him under the bus and wouldn't even give him a hearing. And that was a really good case that the governor of, excuse me, the uh, attorney general of Texas brought. Uh, and the Supreme Court has original jurisdiction over a dispute between the states, which it was, because by alleging that what was going on in Michigan and Georgia and Pennsylvania and those states was diluting the vote of Texas citizens. It definitely was standing to hear that case. But they went with the winners, what I was saying with regard to the Third Reich. They didn't want to put their their, uh, their capital out there for the president that got them their job. They weren't going to do that because they saw him as the loser. And, you know, they want to go to their parties in Georgetown. And they've got what they believe is lifetime tenure. It's not even really lifetime tenure. They serve for good behavior. They gave themselves immunity from suit. Uh you know, so that's another thing. I don't care if they pack the Supreme Court. Who cares? It's worthless now. It doesn't represent the American people anymore. It doesn't. And and we've got to clean the rat's nest out totally of this country and start anew. Because if not, God and his son, yeah. father and his son, will not rise up like he did for our founding fathers who invoked their divine providence. He's not going to help us bail ourselves out if we don't do anything for ourselves.
0: Exactly. Exactly. We have to show the willingness to make the change before the divine will intercede. You can't just sit there, oh, please, 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 you know, I'm a victim here. That, that doesn't work. You have to show Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the,
2: the mentality of the people now is to watch Sean Hannity, and, and that's their sense of activism, watching Sean Hannity tell you stuff that's never going to happen because he wants to boost ratings, you know, with the same monologue every night, ending with, and the Democrats say we're going to throw Granny over the cliff. I mean, it's canned. I don't want to hear it anymore. I want to see action. I don't. I mean, I like Larry Elder, for instance, the radio talk show host. But Larry doesn't do anything but talk. The others don't do anything but talk. It's time to get people to rise up. We need to rise you know, that, up. I, and I'm giving. Yeah. You know,
0: I've been preaching that for 12 years, which is why I've I've worked hard to keep this Tea Party alive and still meeting and getting information out there. I tell them, go to the school board meetings, and I show up. I tell them to go to the county council meetings. I showed up. I I ended up becoming an executive officer in the GOP, so I can influence and bring the party back to the conservative lines. They weren't too happy about me saying that, but it's been working. We are reclaiming our conservative in our county here, and we're taking it to the state, and we're reclaiming it through the state. So you know, I'm I'm there in the fight. You know, I can't be 24-7, but I do it as much no, as I, I can. I,
2: cause I, we need more people like you. And, you know, there's an article on our website at freedomwatchusa.org because they said Larry Klayman was the Tea Party before the Tea Party was cool. This was an article in Red State many years ago. I was very flattered by that because, you know, the Tea Party really made a huge difference. But you know what? We're now beyond – I'm not saying we're beyond the Tea Party, but the Tea Party needs to step it up. Okay? We need activism. Mm-hmm. We need – Take back our legal system. We need to work outside of government, the government that exists right now, our own government. And that's why the Declaration of Independence, to me, is the most beautiful document ever written. It's, it's like the Bible. It, it incorporates the Bible into it. And it says that when the rulers, as I said before, no longer represent us under the laws of nature and nature's God, not Man-made legal system. Nature and nature's God. We have a right to alter or abolish our government and to form a new government and for the people. That's the key. That's the key. You know, well, we, we I, make I, of the rules.
0: I carry a, a constitution with me on my phone at all times. I had at one point a small booklet that I carried with me every day since 1976, but it finally last year ate <laughs> the dirt. I had to get a new one, but I always keep this underlined. It is the right of the people to alter, to abolish, and to institute new government laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light or transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more dipo- disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. This is where we stand right now. This is the cross. But when a long and then train it adds, refuses,
2: and then it adds is that when uh, the a long train of abuses, as think, such yeah. as the king, yeah, go ahead, read that part. That's crucial.
0: Yeah. That's crucial. When a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for this future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity.
2: There you have it. And King George III was Mother Teresa compared to what now is in control of our so-called government. King George III was not a socialist. King George III was not a communist. King George III was not an atheist. King George III was not a radical Muslim. He was not a member of the Marxian Jewish left. He was not a radical feminist. He was not a radical LGBT. He was not a radical atheist. What we've got today is far worse than what the colonies faced in 1776 and in fact after we became a country there was a movement which even included our Alexander Hamilton to then go back and become a limited monarchy under the king you know the king he wanted to tax us to pay for the rest of his empire and and the colonies were fat and happy we were rich we were exceedingly rich but we didn't want taxation without representation we didn't have rep- we don't have representation now and then You know, when we complained, the king wouldn't listen to us. He just went ahead with his edicts, edicts like executive orders of Biden. And then when hostilities broke out at Lexington and Concord and then at New York, then he decided he was going to try to take our guns away from us and disarm us. And then our legal system, he wouldn't let us decide our own fate. Sound familiar? Packing, you know, the Supreme Court, however worthless it may be. It's the same thing, but it's worse because King George III was not – As bad as the people now who are in control of this country. I'd take him any day.
0: Red flag laws uh, limiting the types of firearms, trying to make you register just to buy ammunition. They took the guns from the veterans. They took the guns from the senior citizens using the mental illness. Uh, poor vets were finding out their folders say that they have a mental illness when they never even saw a psychiatrist, was never even diagnosed. A clerk would put it in there so the guns would be confiscated. Senior citizens if they had automatic bill pay oh you're not competent to pay your bills every month manually and you have to rely on bill pay, now then you're not mentally competent to have a firearm. These are actual cases that have occurred.
2: Absolutely. The red flag
0: flag laws In any event I have to run
1: Right, yeah, you know, I have
2: to run because I have another interview at eleven. But I'd love to come back. I mean, you're right on, and oh, I will support you guys and and your patriots. I appreciate right. it.
0: Well, I have a link to your book on the show page, as well as to Freedom Watch USA on the show page. Whereas people <coughs> listening in the archives, they can click on you, Larry. You're always welcome back.
2: Thank you. I I really appreciate you. You are true patriots. Thank you. As I said, God bless
0: you. God bless for the hard work you do too. Check them out, Larry Klingman. Clayman, I mean, uh, over on um, FreedomWatchUSA.com, as well as check his book out up on Amazon. It takes a revolution to get the scandal industry. And folks, it's time to pay attention and make it a bucket brigade of patriots out there, getting the message out there and being willing to stand up and speak out and make your voice heard. And I'll tell you what, I stood up before my county council a couple of weeks back, And the ordinance that I was fighting for the mandatory masks was tossed out the window. And what happened? It was a domino effect, people. Little old me. Little old me just stood up there. The Hurricane Annie hit. And now we know everything else in the county is starting to open up. The mask mandates are disappearing. Life is starting to turn to semi-normal. But now we've got to take back the rest. We start with one step and then we keep going forward. Now, I do believe we have our next, talking about steps, our next guest in on the line. She's the founder of Dance Awareness No Child Explorative, Mary Auden. Good afternoon, Mary. How are you today? Well, I'm
3: really good, and I have a specific reason why I'm really
0: good. Oh, yeah? Let me tell, tell it, it, it to you. Yes, it's my yes.
3: birthday. <laughs>
0: oh, happy birthday.
3: Happy
1: birthday.
0: Oh, Are you 21 again? You
3: so yeah, I'm 21, and uh, you know I uh, I'm very youthful. Uh, so, <laughs> but I I'm going to have a great day, and my husband has even um, put together a, a dinner party tonight, and he's cooking. So there you go. So I'm feeling very Uh-oh. loved.
0: You better have the Pepto-Bismol nearby. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, I don't know, you know, I don't know that he is the master cook, but I don't care. Um, uh, it's such a kind thing for him to do.
0: Man, Mary, the world has gone upside down and crazy. How has COVID, these this lockdowns and these masks, affected you in your project of dance awareness, No Child Exploited?
3: Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to say something that will probably shock your listeners. Um, We have always, at Dance Awareness No Child Exploited, always focused on um, the hypersexualization of children in adult costumes, choreography, and music. Uh, That has always been our main focus, to prevent that, to raise awareness, educate people to know that this is going on in the dance industry. And I do want to reiterate Uh, that I am a dance educator. I have a degree in dance, so I love dance. So I don't come at dance uh, and see it as some terrible, evil thing. But uh, there's been um, actually some clarity uh, coming out of uh, COVID that shows that children are being trafficked online with their dance videos. Uh, Now, we know that trafficking, I think, Uh, Your listeners know that that's the illegal trade of human beings. And what is happening is that uh, children um, who are very naive uh, are sharing their dance videos, posting them online in platforms that don't filter uh, them or the people that watch them. And so we're getting a lot of adult predators that look at these videos and then share them on porn sites. Uh, then if that weren't bad enough uh, these adults sometimes are contacting little children unbeknownst to their parents and um, asking them as they gain the trust of these children we call that grooming to send them inappropriate photos which they then share and post on uh, porn sites so I I really have to tell your listeners that we need to do a better job uh, of educating ourselves about online activity and digital devices in the hands of children because um, predators always come after the most vulnerable people. And of course, little people, children have no experience. They have no idea who this contact person is. They have no idea. that it's not a good idea for them to share um, inappropriate photos with someone they don't know because they don't have the life experience to know that. So that's what I'd say to you in answer uh, to that question.
0: Well, in doing this show, I found a lot of different ways in which they have preyed on children, uh, not just for sexual exploitation, but also in brainwashing them. Uh, Because we have this sudden explosion of transgenderism under children at a very, very, very young age when we were seeing maybe 1% of the child population in schools would have a, a, a gender dysphoria and now the numbers have skyrocketed all of a sudden with the outbreak of the age of technology. They're using it to control our children in so many different ways. Uh, the brainwashing yeah, uh, of our youth, especially through technology, is is mind-boggling. And actually, the the
3: word I think we as adults need to really be aware of is digital supervision. You know, in traditional parenting, we always supervised our kids. We picked them up after school. We, you know, let them go to a certain location if they we knew it was safe and. You know, that's always what caring adults have done. But on the Internet, there's been such a tsunami uh, come into our culture. Nobody knew what the Internet was 25 years ago. And, and so we have been, you know, taken unawares by the way um, people are contacting children and influencing children, and we just need to get in there and learn it and digitally supervise our kids, we would never drop them off at night downtown at a bar and come back five or six hours later. And in, in a, a certain parallel way, that's what you do when you put a digital device in the hands of a child. You're really allowing them to be unsupervised in very, very dangerous ways.
0: Well, now, with the lockdowns and with the schools closed and kids using Zoom or whatever other platform uh, to do their classes, you know, you have a kid sitting in front of a monitor for hours at an end. They're going to get bored and That's they're right. just going to wander off, open up a different window while the teacher's blathering on, and just go surfing somewhere else. Meanwhile, no one knows that the child has access to other areas of the Internet, and now, because of that, we're losing a whole segment of our youth due to these lockdowns.
3: That's right. And, um, you know, caring adults have always been the protective factors for children. And we just need to step up to the plate and learn how to digitally supervise our kids. Um, so um, can I encourage you, your listeners uh, and give them a little history about why this has happened and a particular act in Congress that would help us to supervise children digitally oh, is do. that something you'd be open to well but let me give you a little gonna...
0: okay because I, was, I especially... was gonna bring up your internet your internet says first website so go ahead
3: yeah well um, the internet is new or it was 25 years ago and in uh, 1996 uh, Congress passed the Communications Decency Act, uh, specifically Section 230, that said it would protect Internet vendors on the basis of free speech. Uh, so um, any vendor, anything going on in the Internet had immunity from civil liability. So there was no accountability and there was total freedom to do what they wanted on the Internet. It was new, and I understand that 25 years ago but it's now 25 years later, and there has been no accountability, uh, no civil immunity for any kind of uh, inappropriate behavior online. So right now, pending in Congress is something called the EARNIT Act, and it's been passed, I believe, by the Senate. It's pending in the House. And what it is uh, what they are amending from the Communication Decency Act in 1996, uh, they're saying if Internet platforms hurt people, they should be held accountable in a court of law, which means if somebody is harmed on the Internet, be it a child, and there's a lot of children that are not only being exposed to inappropriate things, but they're being trafficked uh, or they're being contacted or any number of things, um, I was in on a press conference a couple of weeks ago that detailed a lot of the ways children uh, are being harmed through the Internet. So we need this legislation in Congress to pass. Again, it's the EARN IT Act. It's bipartisan. doesn't matter if you're a Republican. doesn't matter if you're a Democrat. You're going to want this passed so that we can protect adults and children, but especially children. They're our most vulnerable citizens. And so if someone is harmed, they're going to have a way to take it to court. And once there's some accountability in what's going on, I think we'll see uh, more companies pulling back on allowing uh, certain kinds of things to filter in through their platforms.
0: Yeah, because you're talking about not just sexual exploitation or trafficking, but there's bullying, uh, there is brainwashing, yeah, making them think they have a Absolutely. gender sphoring. Absolutely. How, how, do you, how do you go around your parents without them knowing what you're doing? They give them instructions on how to bypass their parents.
3: That's right. And, and digital devices are wonderful and terrible. And so um, I don't put point my finger at parents or caring adults because we've all been surprised by the internet Uh, I can remember uh, when the internet came out and I thought what is that? what is that? you know this is 25 years ago I mean nobody knew what the wave of what was coming and most parents are just busy and they're running around they're getting groceries they're fixing dinner but I think the time has come for us to all be aware and know that we have to act people often ask me you know, how can we change the culture? How can we, what can we do? And I say to them, we are the culture. We are the culture. We need to step up to the plate and educate ourselves on the Internet, and then we need to vote for things like the It Act or write our congressman. Uh, We need to speak out, educate one another about what's going on, and we can make changes.
0: Now, are you getting any sort of a pushback from the LBGTQ community? Because for some reason, uh, they feel it is imperative to get a hold of these kids when they're young. There was a video that was posted. As a matter of fact, Newsmax had the courage to play it, of a drag queen with two little girls. I believe it was eight and ten years old, and she had them strutting as if they were prostitutes down the runway, teaching these girls how to dance that way publicly as she held their hands as they went down the runway. Are you getting any sort of a pushback for what you're
3: trying to do? I, I'm not going to say that I've gotten specific pushback from that community. However, I will say if you go on danceawareness.com, you look on resources, you click down and see videos, you're going to see we have a couple of trailers. A trailer is something that's just four or five minutes long. And we have that kind of activity uh, which many of your listeners probably have not seen, that's going on in dance, in competitive dance that is held uh, at conferences on weekends. And a lot of hypersexualized dance is winning on these competitions because it's uh, exposed to our culture, both children and adults, um, on TV, in movies, on the Internet, and everything hypersexualized. Uh, is the hot thing, and it's been normalized. Uh, A few weeks ago on the Grammy show, I don't know if any of your listeners saw that show, uh, the top song in the country is a song called WAP, and they had a horrible dance during family viewing time to this song. The initials WAP is W-A-P, and that stands for wet-ass pussy. Now, I'm not going to go any further in explaining the lyrics to that song, but you can see the title of that is so inappropriate. And the the, the lyrics and the dance, the movements were so horrible. And this is a family viewing hour, So, see, we expose our children to adult issues that they should have no exposure to. You know, uh, I don't like exposure at 18, but when you take a little person and you put that kind of picture uh, in their minds as little people, they begin to want to copy that. Brain research calls this mirror neurons. Children always imitate what they see, right? And so if they're always being exposed to this inappropriate material, adult costumes, choreography, and music, then we shouldn't be surprised when they're copying it and they see that it's fine. And, of course, (laughs) children don't know they're being abused or groomed because they're children. What they experience in the culture is what they see as normal. Mary. Uh Uh Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you think... Do you think, um, and I'm not saying anything about this child's parents, but um, do you think JonBenet Ramsey was exploited? I,
3: you know, I would say probably, yeah, I think she was. But I I also want to, you know, underscore and emphasize that I don't know that the parents were aware of that. I think it takes education and awareness with research, which we have on danceawareness.com. Uh, to help parents understand this isn't cute. It's not cute to make a little person an adult. And I often say when I speak to adults in any kind of context, you can tell the difference between healthy dance and harmful dance uh, in a very simplified way. Healthy dance, which equals educational dance, has children looking like children in age-appropriate ways, and usually, usually there's a sense of joy in what they're doing. Harmful dance, which is hypersexualized dance, a child looks like an adult, dressed in adult material, costumes, choreography, and music, usually accompanied by adult hairstyles and adult makeup. So if you're looking at an eight-year-old or a 12-year-old or a three-year-old, any context of childhood and they're looking like an adult, it's hypersexualized dance. Now, when we normalize it by not speaking out and educating ourselves as adults, because remember, we are the culture, right? That's how we make changes in the culture. We are the culture. So when we speak out, and I always encourage people to do it respectfully um, because then people's defenses don't come up. I don't point and shame at people didn't know that and i will make a dollar against a dime bet that john benet's parents have a lack of awareness or did and a lack of education about this issue and so i would approach them if it was today and share the research share the material and i have it all on danceawareness.com so that we could bring some insight into their choices most adults don't make informed choices They just think they don't have a choice. They just kind of do what the culture is exposing them to. And that's why we've been calling all this hypersexualization, where we make little children into many adults, we're calling it normal. And it's not normal. And it is ruining children.
0: Absolutely. You have things like that, Netflix, with those little girls dancing, looking like local yeah, costumes. Cuties. Yeah, like,
3: that, I, that. Uh, I wrote several articles on Cuties. Uh, it's, it's really pornographic material that we're put, putting children in, and not just those children in the film. You know, they had auditions, and there were over 600 children coming to the audition. So that that means not only did we damage Uh, and abuse the the children in the film, and then the children now watching the film are also being abused by normalizing that behavior. But the kids that came to audition for the film, I mean, you know, when they're auditioning children, you have to do things over and over again. And they were directing the children uh, how to make those poses, do those moves, I don't know if you saw Cuties. I did. I feel a responsibility to see it uh, because I'm the founder of Dance Awareness, and I was shocked. I was shocked by the film, uh, and and uh, I mean, I I'm not telling your viewers to see the film. I don't think you have to see everything to know it's bad. But that film is shocking. Uh, little little girls were in pornographic material
0: well doesn't peer pressure play a lot on this because the kids will say mommy I want to do that or peer pressure of a uh, competing against another parent for their child to be the best does peer pressure have a lot of yeah a lot of I, I, I
3: think all of it is part of that the toxic stew um, I mean I think parents who are the protective factors and that's why I'm going after educating parents Uh, have to be informed about the choices they're making and the outcomes for their kids because they've been unaware because there was no Internet for many years. There has been for 25 years. That's why we need to vote for the EARN Act or ask our representatives to vote for that. So we have some recourse against these negative, disturbing trends that are going on for our children and actually for ourselves. But we're focusing, or I'm focusing, of course, on protecting children. Um, So I I think at the toxic school, yeah, peers, you know, children talk to children. Uh, They're getting digital devices. We're giving them phones younger and younger and younger. They're accessing the Internet and being contacted by predators unbeknownst to their parents. I really do believe that most parents love and care for their kids. And so, um, you know, it's gonna take a, a, a lot of work for all of us to, to really work together to protect children, but it's uh, something I certainly think is worthwhile.
0: Now, after these children, you've identified these children that have been exploited. Do you follow, you know, the statistics on what happens to these kids afterwards, such as school dropout, early pregnancies, drug and alcohol abuse? Uh, lack of uh, college education or jobs mental illness yeah we don 't
3: have, don't have do you track dance? Dance. we don 't have dance specific research. I think that's coming as more awareness of this issue comes into uh, the culture in our discussions. but the National Center on Sexual Exploitation is tracking those kinds of things, and, and so within their context uh, of just abusive children um they're they're starting to track that it's again it's not just dance specific but it's child specific rather than adult specific for instance we know that 90 percent of kids have seen porn um we know that um one in four girls and one in six boys experience abuse before they're 18. Um, We know that 90% of children will be abused by someone they know. Uh, So we're getting those kind of research statistics from the experts that are working on this nationally. And I would encourage all your listeners to go to the National Center on Sexual Exploitation website, www.nsexualexploitation.org. There's all kinds of research and materials there. And uh, incidentally, I'll be speaking at the... uh, summer conference, they're having an online conference, and I've been asked to speak at that on behalf of um, Dance Awareness, which I'm delighted to do, and I'll tell you something else, that that adults working in and at the National Center uh, on Sexual Exploitation are what I would term showing the goodness of adults. You know, this is a difficult area to work in. It's hard to hear these statistics. It's difficult to understand some of the complexities of pornography and trafficking and grooming. And so the adults working within that context, in that organization, their goodness level is high. I am privileged to know them, each and every person.
0: Well, you know, you you recently attended a conference out in California, the California Health, Physical Education, Recreation, and Dance State Conference, and I was amazed to see some of the groups that you have, that are working together, uh, such as uh, the Hip Hop uh, Public Health. You wouldn't think of Hip Hop wanting to become involved in, you know, protecting the children because they're out there to sell their records. Uh, well, you know they,
3: they are an educationally-based organization, and they use dance to promote educational messages. Wow, what a concept. Um, so um, do you know, or maybe your listeners do or do not know, that hip-hop is the number one style of song that children relate to. So their research showed that. So now they do healthy messages in all kinds of ways from studying, eating habits, you name it, um, in hip-hop. And so then they they create and choreograph um, movement to go with the song. And then the song and the movement is taught to children in school. And the kids love it because it's so much fun. And, of course, that's the healthy side of dance. And that's what I want to remind your listeners of, that dance, when it's age-appropriate and healthy, is an outstanding activity for children. It integrates mind, body, and spirit in ways that other forms, art forms, do not. You know, when you're taking a dance class, you have to think with your mind. You have to uh, share with your heart how you're feeling about that particular movement. And then, of course, it's good for your body. So developmentally, the research experts um, show that dance is is one art form that really improves cognitive development. Now, for your listeners, the word cognitive refers to the brain. So, as a child is having fun doing hip hop, maybe, um, and they're just learning messages about healthy eating habits, uh, their brain. Is, is getting the best uh, improvement or development as they learn this um, that that they can actually receive. Because most ways of learning only go through one modality. Dance goes through three, mind, body, and spirit. And when that is integrated, children do really well. So, And that's what happened to me. See, I took... Uh, dance as a child. I actually started fairly late. I was 11 years of age. But those three modalities, I could really tell in the classroom, the dance classroom, that I was being affected positively by dance. It was just wonderful. So um, it's not that you need to not allow your child to take dance. You just have to make sure it's at a healthy, age-appropriate dance studio. And we have materials on our website that will help parents understand how to do that
0: now are dance studios starting to be registered and licensed now because as I understand the vast majority of them are not
3: no I wish I could say my friends uh, that that uh, was true that there was regulation Uh, but I have to tell you uh, there's no regulation in dance anybody can open up a dance studio they don't have to have background. They don't have to have a degree. They don't have to have experience. Maybe there's somebody that watches TV and just is good at copying what they see, and so they open a dance studio. Um, it's, it's a dangerous uh, position. Your barber has to go to barber school and have a background check. He has to learn certain procedures to work with the public. Uh, your church, your school, your why. All the workers who work with children have to go through background checks and some training. In dance, we don't have that.
0: Now, maybe it could be a good move for a lot of communities to start saying, well, why don't we start licensing them and doing a background check because we are turning our children over to them. You know, daycare requires licensing, uh, so why Absolutely. not now? Do this? you know. You know,
3: absolutely. Why is this not happening in dance? Again, that's one of the reasons I founded Dance Awareness No Child Exploited, although I love dance. Healthy, age-appropriate dance is wonderful, as I just described. What has happened to the field of dance that we don't have any background checks uh, to open up a dance studio? I mean, just that. You know, um, we don't want adults working with children that are predators, Right or have um, Mm -hmm. backgrounds that would indicate they're not good with children or they've taken advantage of a child. So uh, I don't understand it, but that's one of the reasons I founded Dan.
0: Well, Mary, you do a fantastic job. And if people want to give you a donation, can they do that through your website?
3: Absolutely, absolutely. We've got donations, and we need them because I'm committed to free uh, materials for adults to access, and um, free resources. Again, we have trailers. We made uh, a 20-minute film where I interviewed experts from the National Center on Sexual Exploitation Coalition Summit in 2019. Uh, from those experts talking as I interviewed them about the differences between healthy and harmful dance, we made a 20-minute film. We uh, released that in February of 2020. That's up there. We have a free ebook that um, talks about the new trends in children's dance, how to choose a healthy dance studio, how to avoid a harmful one, and then how to approach a, a dance studio owner with the research so that they can be educated about why we shouldn't hypersexualize children. Um, so, oh, and a, a free dance newsletter. We're going to have an issue come out in. Uh, about three weeks, and um, we don't inundate people with our newsletter. It just comes out three times a year, but it's really got content, good content in there from dance educators. And I do want to do a shout-out for your listeners to know that a lot of dance educators are like me. It is the parents who are pressuring the dance studio owners to hypersexualize. And I actually believe, again, Some dance studio owners and some parents are just totally unaware and uneducated about this, and they think it's cute. They don't think a thing about it because they've been exposed to the Internet. The Internet is the one that has normalized what is not normal. So um, we need to educate all groups of people, Uh, dance people. Most dance educators, that is people with degrees, would agree with me. Um, They're horrified by this trend, but we need to educate dance people. Uh, We need to educate parents and caring adults so that we can protect our kids. We love them, right? So uh, I think we're all on the same uh, team. This is a bipartisan issue. Just as the Earn It Act is, and um, I, I uh, would love for your listeners to come to danceawareness. dot com. Uh, we also have a new campaign we've started since January called Share Your Dance Story. We have the increasing research to share with people, but you know, if we need personal dance stories to come alongside the research and humanize what we're saying in the research. And so if any of your listeners have grown up and they're now an adult, but they can look back and uh, as a child see that they were hypersexualized and the damage that's done, uh, you can access our website and share your story, and you can share it with your name, or you can share anonymously. So um, we're getting these stories in, and I want to invite all your listeners to do that or to share with your friends and say go on to that website and share your dance story. We have a Facebook page. We'd love to have you follow us. Um, and uh, anytime somebody wants to email me, Mary at uh, Dance Awareness is part of a larger website or program called Soul to Soul Choreography. I wrote a book a number of years ago on dance ministry. And so um, we've just got a lot of things for your listeners. And uh, I hope I haven't shocked you all too much or shocked your listeners too much. But, you know, there's always choices that we have to make. And we do that with food. We do that with bedtime, with kids. Uh, No, they can't stay up till midnight every night. So you have to make informed choices with food, with bedtime for kids. Now you have to make an informed choice with dance. So um, go to our website, make use of the materials, and uh,
0: share them. Well, God bless you for the hard work you do, Mary. Danceawareness.com, people can find you there. God bless you. We'll be talking soon. All right. Bye-bye. All right. I check out Mary's site, com, And I have to apologize to my next guest because I was looking at a different person's name when I texted him the phone number to call in. So his name is not Larry. It is actually Fred Lucas. Good afternoon, Fred. How are you doing today? Hey. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh,
4: Don't worry. Thanks for having me on.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I was looking at someone else's name as I was saying the text, you know, and after I said send, I'm going, oh, he thinks I'm a schmuck, I swear. <laughs> no,
4: no. Not
0: well, you are the Chief National Affairs Correspondent for the Daily Signal, which is part of Heritage Foundation, and you had emailed me with some new stuff you have going on. What are you up to, Fred? Oh,
4: well, yeah. Uh, yeah, this some uh, um, something that uh, I had to look at in terms of uh, uh, something that Senate Republicans were inquiring about uh, with the um, – with the GAO uh, to, to look into the impoundment act and uh, with, with Joe Biden. And uh, it has to do with um, Joe Biden's uh, decision on not funding the wall anymore. Uh, the, the key there is that that was a congressionally approved uh, decision to fund the border wall. And um, Biden uh, upon entering office uh, pulled it back. Now, now the, uh, Significance: uh, The Impoundment Act. That's something that is a law. It didn't get a lot of, of attention in the past. Uh, one reason why it raised some eyebrows when, uh, when uh, so many members of the Senate, including Senator Mitch McConnell, signed on to this letter. There were forty Republicans in all on this. One reason why it didn't get so much attention is that it was the Impoundment Act that was the only uh, actual law that was cited. Uh, as having been broken during the Trump impeachment, the, the first Trump impeachment, dealing with the Ukraine and uh, and, and holding up the – or allegedly holding up the money uh, for the defense there. So uh, that's, that's sort of an interesting connection between Joe Biden uh, funding for the wall and Trump's first impeachment.
0: Well, you know, I, when I was looking at that, I was thinking about all the contracts that private companies had to build the wall. You know, you break a contract. Uh, I'm sorry, you've got yourself a lawsuit on, on the hand. You know, there has to be a just reason whether or not the contractor was acting in poor faith or whatever. There has to be a reason to breach that contract. And there was absolutely no reason, just the whim of the sitting president.
4: Yeah, that's true. Uh, and, uh, as you recall, Trump actually... Um, pushed through this through. I think he took emergency action uh, to get the law started. But eventually, Congress did uh, provide funding for, for the law and an appropriations bill uh, later that year. And, and uh, moving forward, uh, this was kind of one of those issues, like much of the rest of the border, one of those issues where Biden didn't really have to do anything. He just sort of had to let things proceed forward. And instead, he uh, essentially... Um, had to reverse course. Now we've got a crisis at the border, uh, massive amounts of people crossing the border, and uh, some have even said when they were interviewed that they came across because there is a new president uh, and to completely threw out the policies of the Trump administration.
0: Well, actually, two uh, Democratic senators are now starting to side uh, with the Republicans and are now criticizing. Uh, Biden for his handling of the border is Arizona Senators Mark Kelly and Kirsten Sinema, so that's going to take the majority over to securing the border and rebuilding the wall.
4: Uh yeah, yeah, possibly, possibly. I mean, Mark Kelly—he uh, remember he campaigned as a moderate, uh, uh, campaigned consistently said that he wanted to be. Sort of a John McCain type figure, but, but from the Democratic side in terms of uh, working with uh, working across the aisle, we're going to see how that actually works um, uh, with him and, and any other Democrats for that matter. But uh, it, it's it's going to be interesting, and it's going to be interesting to see where this GAO study goes. I think because uh, our GAO, should say, uh, because um, this is I. It's a federal investigation. It's not a criminal investigation. Let's be clear about that. But it is a federal investigation of the GA. are going to uh, determine um, what happens here and and whether uh, Biden actually, as one of his first acts in office, violated a federal law, that being the uh, Impoundment Act.
0: Now, would it be grounds for impeachment?
4: Uh, that, that is a good question. I I I did write a book on impeachment, uh, abuse of power. It was about the the first Trump impeachment. Uh, uh, my argument would be, no, it's not quite uh, grounds for impeachment. It's uh, uh it, it was a very the first impeachment certainly of Trump was a very weak impeachment, maybe the weakest impeachment in history because it did cite no crime and certainly no nothing close to a felony. Uh, He he was impeached for very vague charges being abuse of power and obstruction of Congress, uh, which is the title of the book, Abuse of Power. Uh, But it's it's almost a reference of Congress abusing the impeachment power. In this case, uh, I don't think Congress could or should uh, move to impeachment because I I don't think the, the Impoundment Act is quite quite the level to remove someone, an elected leader from office. However, uh, there are ways to if, – if a president is found in violation of this, there are remedies to it in terms of basically going back and fixing uh, the matter. It's, it's all, on some level, it's a civil offense, I, I suppose you could say, in terms of uh, um, protecting separation of powers.
0: It would be interesting to see where it goes because if I was one of those contractors, just landed myself a nice, juicy contract working under President Trump, and all of a sudden the next thing I know, everything is yanked out from underneath me. My company can very easily go over. They did this very same thing on the Keystone pipeline. Yeah,
4: very true. good, Good comparison.
0: How many jobs were lost between securing the border for building the wall and the Keystone Pipeline, and how many ancillary areas were damaged by the closing of the Keystone Pipeline. Total communities, total towns were built up around it, and it was helping the environment. You had less trucks going, skewing uh, dirt and pollutants into the air, and it was being transported safely. Less chance of a spillage. But in a heartbeat, he just broke open the country to everything we were trying to protect it from. But, you know, your book, Abuse of Power, Inside the Three-Year Campaign to Impeach Donald Trump, it's up on Amazon. You can also get it in Kindle, which is how I had gotten it. And unfortunately, I only got it three days ago, so I haven't had a chance to (laughs) read the whole thing. (laughs) I started it, and it sounds very interesting.
5: um, Yeah, I'd love to hear what you think about
0: it. It's very interesting, because as I was starting to read it, uh, the stories about Giuliani's office and home being raided again uh, by the FBI in Roger Stone style at 6 a.m. in the morning. And, oh, lo and behold, this time instead of CNN being in tow, the New York Times was in tow for the raid. Now, it's ringing bells of exactly what was happening prior to Trump taking office I think, or I'm hoping you'll think, I'm thinking the same thing. They're already throwing things in his way to prevent him from running again, saying, hey, listen, we still control the DOJ. If you think you're going to run again, we're going to do the same thing we did last time. We're going to go after Giuliani, Flynn, KT McFawn, Gates, Papa anyone that's near you that you're going to use for your campaign and rely on as an aide we're going to go after them just the same way we did before. That's what I'm seeing.
4: Uh, that, that could be true. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm reserving judgment on uh, whatever they're going after Rudy Giuliani on for, for any evidence that's out there. But uh, what is interesting is that the um, personal attorney for Hunter Biden um, is a former law partner to the uh, head of the uh, – to, to the man that Joe Biden appointed – to run the criminal division in the Justice Department. And now we're seeing this, um, this move against Giuliani. So that's, that's going to be interesting. Giuliani was, of course, trying to investigate Hunter Biden, which is where we saw the whole impeachment um, against Trump, the first one, move forward. Uh, but the impeachment was largely less about, less about Trump than it was trying to protect Joe Biden during that, which I lay out in the book, Abuse of Power. So, um, uh, so that's still very relevant today, especially with what we're seeing in the Biden presidency and uh, with these charges against Giuliani.
0: And you, we heard and, and the Joey
4: Houndman Act, if we want to circle back to that.
0: Yeah, but we also heard, you know, with the Russia collusion, the Logan Act being thrown around. Uh, but wouldn't we throw that same Logan Act at Joe Biden, throwing his influence around in Ukraine, Russia, and China? And actually,
4: lining his own pockets because of it. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, the, 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 uh, that is a potential. Uh, the one one key is that the Logan Act has never has never really been prosecuted, or, or it's just so rarely ever used against anyone. Uh, now, now we're talking about, uh, I think, Foreign Agents Registration Act. Like trying to use that against Giuliani. Um, I mean, certainly, uh, this whole thing about. John Kerry recently and his uh, mm-hmm. communications with uh, Iran uh has raised a lot of red flags among people. So, uh in terms of communications back and forth, uh that's going to be uh, uh, if if people want to criminalize that, there's a lot a lot of things to look at from both sides. And 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 you wonder whether it's not to say two wrongs make a right, but but you do wonder when the political pendulum swings back. Uh, if, and you have a Republican Justice Department, which you know eventually will happen, uh, if, if things could get out of control at that point for for future Democrats.
0: And there's so much that's going on with the news. I mean, here you are—you're the national affairs correspondent for the Daily Signal. How the heck do you keep up with this this circus? It is not even a three-ring; it is now a twenty-six-ring circus.
4: Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I guess I guess that's uh, sometimes it's like you're living in an alternative reality, but uh,
0: but yeah, it's uh,
4: keeps keeps life interesting.
0: <laughs> because you know, it's, there was a um, Department of Justice investigation on this officer Chauvin prior to him even going to court. Meanwhile, the city of Minneapolis. Settles the civil case prior to even the criminal case going to court. I've never heard of that before. Never once have ever heard a civil case being settled prior to a criminal judgment. Either you know you're found innocent or guilty, and then the civil case goes forward at that point. So mm. how would you determine what to award unless you know whether or not the person's innocent or guilty? But if they did it backwards. Finding out that the Geo, the DOJ, planned on being in the courtroom if he was found innocent, they were going to slap the cuffs on him and arrest him for civil rights violations, which they may still go forward with anyway. I have never seen a legal circus in any other administration as bad as this one.
4: Uh, yeah, well, uh, we are seeing a, Remember um, um, M- M- Garland, a lot of people had really high hopes for him, it would be less politicized and maybe like an Eric Holder who just sort of openly boasted about being a political attorney general, being Barack Obama's lean man and so forth. But uh, uh, some of the cases we're seeing now, I mean, uh, we, we've seen that they're going after the uh, Louisville, Kentucky, Police Department also uh, from the Justice Department. So, I mean, that, that's going to be – I mean, we'll, we'll see how politicized this gets. Um, on, on that, though, uh, I mean, the Breonna Taylor – Missed that, that. That was like something I, I think saddens everyone. I mean that that was um, but I and I think the real question is whether it was a criminal matter, whether it was something those police intended to do, um, and I think there was a state investigation that bears out that that was not the case. That the police did not act criminally in that case, um, and I think we might see the the fact that the justice department announced. That they're doing an investigation. It's going to be a, um, you know, they're, they're going to you know, issue press releases, press conferences, uh, get a lot of attention. That by golly, we're going in there. We're investigating this controversial case. And then if they find nothing, or if they determine that there was no wrongdoing, I doubt they'll say much of anything. They'll, they'll probably file it in formal, um, uh, formal papers about it, and, and not make a, a whole lot of it. Uh, which, which is what we've seen before in these kind of cases. The, the announcing the investigation makes more news than the results of it.
0: Well, what we're seeing also coming out of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, two things. They want to take away the no-knock warrant. Wait, wait a minute, mm-hmm. Breonna Taylor, didn't, didn't they knock on the door, which gave her boyfriend enough time to grab a gun and fire at the officers? And they announced themselves. Uh, also, prosecutor immunity. So, in other words, if a cop turns around and gives you a dirty look and you feel insulted on the street while he was in uniform performing his duty or even just performing his duty, you can then sue them because, oh, you feel so insulted. He made you feel like dirt in front of your friends. How dare he give me that look? Every single cop lays his life on the line, but not just that, with the removal of prosecutorial immunity. It's his family. It's his home. It's, it's life savings. He can be financially ruined for simply being on duty.
5: Yeah,
4: yeah, and, and um, that is going to be uh, – that's going to be a, a problem going forward. I mean, uh, it's there really is sort of a, a – I think Heather McDonald has called it a war on cops. Um, and, I mean, we're, we're going to see how long this endures, how long this lasts. Um, I think Biden has tried to avoid the whole uh, – Defund the police movement, but, but we're, we're seeing the squad uh, push forward things like defund the police and abolish the police. Actually, I think Johan uh, Omar had said so. It's uh, uh, kind of going a step further. Uh, so, and and we did see. I mean, uh, one of the things that uh, my book actually noted was uh, just how powerful the squad was uh, in terms of. Um, pushing Pelosi on things, uh, in the past. Um, so we're going to see if that's the case, uh, now, I mean, when it comes to criminal justice matters.
1: Fred, it's going to be, ver- this is, um, Go ahead, Curtis. <laughs> this is, um, Andy's co-host. We have seen, um, throughout history, this country could have folded on a number of occasions. Um, my question to you is, do you think we can survive this? And is the midterms and, um, twenty twenty two our last hope for saving this republic
4: well uh i yeah you know, you want, one i i think we can definitely survive i think we've been through worse uh we've been through a, a civil war we've been through some pretty horrible wars uh and um that the um uh so so i think we can survive and um uh two i i would say that that i don't think that um I I wouldn't put too too much uh, re- reliance on any election to save us or any politician to save us because I think politicians are always going to let us down from one degree to another.
0: Well, if anyone has pinned their hopes on a politician, I've got a bridge in Brooklyn to tell you. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know yeah, what so are the, mean, track- the
4: the the, uh, the uh, I mean the uh midterms the, those are important in terms of restoring a separation of powers. Uh I I will say that but but in terms of uh, being the last hope um no I mean we we better uh, pin our hopes on something bigger I <laughs> think.
0: You know um they are looking to federalize the the police. Now they tried that mm-hmm. under President Clinton. And at that point, you know, I was a cop I had walked away from the corporate oh. world, threw everything up. You know, I had my own business prior to that. I managed the law firm. I worked for American Express. I walked away. And mm-hmm. I became a cop. And when Clinton was in office, he attempted to federalize the uh, police departments across the nation through something called CPOP, community policing. And he would throw these federal dollars at all the different departments, and they would gobble them up. But then they came with the price tag, and that's where the pushback came back. They're attempting to do the same thing again, saying, all right, you know, we're going to take away your ability to get all this equipment and stuff unless you follow what we say. And I'm thinking that this is the way to federalize nationwide all of the police departments and then usurp the power of elected sheriffs because the federal government has no control over sheriffs. Are you seeing something like this happening? Well,
4: we have seen... um an attempt from the federal government, yeah, uh, you know, and and the left. I mean, the left wants to generally federalize anything they can. I mean, there was some attempts to federalize the police during the Obama administration, um, and I, I, I mean, I think if the left had their way, they would probably federalize all local governments to some degree. <laughs> and yes. we're we're, uh, we're we're certainly uh, seeing that uh, off topic a little bit. But I mean, we're certainly seeing there's an effort now in Congress to federalize all. Elections, Which has historically been locally run um, and, 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 and I think maybe the, the, the same point about uh, elections Would apply to law enforcement Which is if you federalize and centralize anything It's going to make corruption and breakdown far more likely Than if it's decentralized And, and there's more of something that's having checks and balances on something else
0: well, there's there's a several different prong attacks on the People's Republic. And one of them would be the gun confiscation that they're looking to do. You know, licensing, if you go to purchase ammunition, rank flag laws. So first, you uh, unarm the population. Second, you control their voice. And they do that hmm. through, through the First Amendment as well as controlling the, vo- the vote. And the best way to finally control it is to federalize the police, and this is every single thing that Hitler did in Germany. First, removed the guns from veterans, the old age, and then the rest of the population. Then controlled their voice through the one party. And then controlled them through a national police force. And we're seeing this attempt being attempted here. Where's the voices to speak out against all of this?
4: Yeah, well, um, I, I mean, again, I, I'm did not Did I so depress a- you? Just <laughs> uh, might, might come back to, to my point. Uh, never feed your hopes on politicians because uh, they'll let you down. Uh, I mean, for some there's not enough people speaking out about what's happening. Uh, and and uh, I think eventually you're going to see either uh, either Republicans uh, or um, you know maybe commentators and more journalists are going to have to step up and talk about. The state of things, the state of America, right now.
0: Well, there's not very many quote journalists unquote out there, except for people like you at the Daily Signal or those yeah. at Epic Times. And with that, I pull up the next article that was in my my battle plan: uh, Washington Post to end fact-checking database after Biden's 100-day mark. Gee, is anyone surprised? They spent prior to Trump being elected. Every single day, going fact-checking anything and everything, it goes through his entire term of office. And even today, the Washington Post is still fact-checking President Trump. But 100 days into Biden's, we no longer have to fact-check him, especially <laughs> after that speech Wednesday night. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's true. Uh, can't hey, pick um, this
5: up.
4: They're, they're, uh, this they're, up. They're, yeah. I, I I will at least give the Washington Post uh, credit for actually doing some fact checking, which, which is more than uh, a lot of the more mainstream left wing uh, media are doing. But but yeah yeah I mean it, it is true that we're we're not seeing enough accountability um, out there for when, whether you're talking about um, Biden or I mean r- r- really I mean I I think most most politicians from either party need to be held accountable and but it, it usually just counts come down to just one side is held accountable.
0: Well, you know, uh, the uh, Daily Signal and uh, Heritage did a great job on breaking down Biden's uh, blunders in the congressional address. (laughs) You
3: can't even – Right, thank you.
0: And and actually, I urge everyone to go over to uh, the Daily Signal, and the title of the article is Heritage Scholars Sound Off on Biden's Address Congress and they you guys' detail is really, really great as for the infrastructure, uh, the loss of jobs uh, for, as our previous guest was talking about the, the southern wall, the Keystone pipeline uh, well, I threw the Keystone pipeline in here uh, underneath what you guys were doing, the economic policies I love this one uh, God bless my mom she's eighty she'll be eighty nine July fourth and the second he said unions built the middle class. Her draw job <laughs> dropped. She looked at me, and she goes, did I hear him correctly? And I said, yeah. And then she started, God bless her, she's a little Italian grandma, she started ranting. Unions <laughs> built the middle class. Yeah, I love that line. And you know, you guys hit on education, oh, the free community college, free stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Universal preschool, we also addressed that with a couple of our previous guests. If you control the children, You control the parents. You control the country. Uh, I mean, there's so many ways in which there's attack on this one. And, you know, let's not even get into uh, Iran or law with the red flag laws. But, you know, your buddy uh, John Butcher is going to be on in a few moments. But, you know, I'm urging everyone to go take a look at your book. And it's called Abuse of Power Inside the Three-Year Campaign to Impeach Donald Trump. And just about, I would say, guarantee everything that we're seeing today is a repeat of what would happen to Donald Trump, only magnified. Uh, so, and also check out your articles over at the Daily Signal under heritage.org. Thank you so much, Greg. Okay. And, you know, yeah. just shoot me an email, but don't use that hotmail account. Use the other account, because I only checked that one once a well, while. Use the other account I gave you so I can see your mail right away.
4: Okay, great. great. All right, well, well, thanks for having me on.
0: All right, God bless. Take care. Fred Lucas, check him out. All right, and I do see – there there he is. Good afternoon. We just left your friend, Fred Lucas, from the Heritage, and now we got Jonathan Butcher from Heritage. Good afternoon, Jonathan. How are you today?
5: Good afternoon. I'm well, and thank you so much for uh, accommodating my schedule change today. I'm I'm so grateful. You've always been so gracious when you've had me on the show, so
6: thank you.
0: Oh, I've had fun doing this, and uh, I'm in year 11 Yeah, 11. You're 11 doing this, so I I have fun doing it. It's my hobby. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you how long I've been doing what I've been doing, because
5: that's just going to give too much away. I just, I'm not ready to admit that.
0: (laughs) Well, that's right, because I retired some 25 years ago. Um, Yeah, it's about that long ago. (laughs) Oh, man. We're seeing, because parents are doing the homeschooling, we're starting to see some pushback, because now they're finally realizing what the kids are seeing in school, and there was a great uh, video up on Newsmax about a group of parents that went after the school board, so of course the school board hightailed it before they walked in the building and hid, Uh, but parents are starting to speak up in front of the school boards and trying to take back the education of their children, and it's not just the masks, it's not just the social distancing, it is pushing things like critical race theory, then we had a nation that we fought so hard to teach people, as Martin Luther King said, it's not the color of your skin, it's the content of your character that matters. And now they have just completely reversed it, saying, you're guilty for simply being white. How dare you?
5: It's a very scary thing. And I think that even those who, you know, like myself, right, have concerns about the attempts by lawmakers to curtail this kind of behavior, right? Because even well-intentioned provisions uh, meant to um, uh, – that that do expand the footprint of lawmakers in schools, they they should make us nervous, right? But we've got to be ready to draw a bright line here. We've got to be ready to say that it is not okay to teach students to treat each other or anyone else differently based on the color of their skin. We, we have to be able to agree on this because that, it's these kinds of shared assumptions on which we build culture, right? I mean, we build communities and neighborhoods and schools and churches and cookouts with your neighbor, and all of these different things have to rest on some shared um, character values. And, and this has to be one of them. Colorblindness has to be one of
0: them. You know, we have in the Declaration of Independence where all men are created equal. We have written into the Constitution that the Bill of Rights. Oh, wait a minute, by the way. Oh, wait a minute. That's, uh, the Bill of Rights, they really don't mean anything according to Joe Biden, right? You know, it doesn't. We, he just in one sentence in his congressional address nullified the right to vote of women, black, of anyone the right to bear arms the right of free speech the right to practice your religion the rights to be self of uh, the states to be self sufficient and to reject the overreaching of the federal power there's so much he just nullified in that one sentence and that just quietly goes away
5: yeah most certainly i i think you know what we what we have now is um a strange departure uh, from the normal classifications of those who find themselves on the right and the left sides of the political divide. Right. And, uh, there was a Vox interview earlier this week with James Carville, the, um, you know, a progressive, um, a campaign strategist where he said, we all know the woke dogma is a problem, right? He, I mean, he just came out and said it. This was one day before Senator Tim Scott responded to president Biden's a speech before Congress and Senator Scott said um, we shouldn't be using race to solve political problems. Like we shouldn't be using race as some sort of um, wedge or or, uh, technique to somehow achieve political ends. So to see that perspective um, shared by people on different sides of, of the spectrum is it should be encouraging to all of us, right? I mean, I think that this means that we are dealing with a um, with a moral issue here, right? This is a something that that we should be um, that people hold dear. They they base their lives on, you know, the decisions that they make uh, regarding how they feel about the treatment of people based on on the color of their skin. So, um, you know, I think that that there is common sense out there is uh, is encouraging.
0: Well, there was a video that's gone viral of this poor clerk at a Holiday Inn. And this guy who puts himself out there as the biggest troll ever, the biggest race baiter in the world. And he goes after this poor clerk because someone else somewhere along the way made a mistake in an error in the reservation. So instead of trying to work with the clerk, let's get this sorted out and get me into a room and I'll be happy. He race baits. And lo and behold, little did anyone know, this guy had mental issues and ends up into a complete mental breakdown. where at the point where mm. he's running mm. into the office, sobbing uncontrollably, quitting his job. But this guy happily posts this video out there as he takes this poor guy down simply because he was born white. It, it, this is what we're, we're facing. It, it's like, no, 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 no. For the very fact. Your circumstance of birth—it doesn't mean if you you were born poor and white or rich and white. Just the fact that you are white, you're guilty of something.
5: And that's a scary thing. I mean, I think that this, that's the kind of perspective. Those are the kinds of beliefs that um, that tyrants uh, build, you know, build their power on. Um, and I think that it, it, tyrants don't have to be. A single individual, they usually travel in packs. And so uh, I think that what we, you know, what we have before us is, is a, a tricky issue, because race has, um, you know, at, at one point in American history was handled so poorly, right? I mean, there's no question that America had Systems that were racist, right? I mean, slavery was racist. The Jim Crow era and and the laws that were and provisions that uh, that were enacted at the time, things like uh, housing redlining, right? They have a long histories of discriminatory, if not you know outright racist um, uh, activity. But a lot has changed in the last 50 years, right? A promise was made um, to to Americans when the founding fathers. Um, wrote the Declaration of Independence, signed the Constitution, and then Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. And then once again, um, in the 60s, when the Civil Rights uh, Act was passed, and, uh, you know, again and again, and I think, I think by saying nothing has changed, why uh, I think that rid the sacrifices of all of these people, some of whom died for their belief that we should be treating people um, equally based, uh, regardless of the color of their skin.
0: Well, when our nation was founded, our founding fathers had the forthwith to know, to set mechanisms into place in our founding documents that would bring about the Emancipation Proclamation, the abolitionist movement. They understood that they couldn't fight that fight right at that moment, especially in the first Continental Congress. We had to get the, the Constitution built and then add on to it, as Madison rightly said, the Bill of Rights, which then led forward to the Civil War. So we, we set mechanisms in there in which we could mature and develop and grow into a better nation. But yet in 1865, when the first Civil Rights Act was passed, it stayed in place until 17, no, 1865 and then repealed by Democrats, put in place by Republicans, repealed by Democrats in 1895. And then it was, again, the Republicans that came forward with the Civil Rights Act of the 1950s that was passed in the 1960s. But yet when we see, as you mentioned, the red line laws, that happened in Democratic urban areas. The Ku Klux Klan, that happened under the Democratic Party. The defense of slavery during the Civil War, that happened under the Democratic Party. So why do these woke people still vote for the Democratic Party when they're the ones that are doing the race baiting? That's a great question. I wish I had an answer. I wish I could see into their
5: minds. Uh, I think, you know, I think that it is um, at at the very heart, right, at the root of this issue is the concept of power, right? I mean, critical race theory is based on critical legal theory, which is based on critical theory. And this dates back, you know, 120 years um, or more. I mean, if you follow it back to Marx and then those who influenced Marx. But critical theory comes from, you know, the... A group of, of intellectuals who wanted to find what they consider to be the pure Marxism. And what's fascinating today is that even critical race theorists like Angela Harris uh, today, who's a, a law professor, um, she has, has cited this, this uh, heritage to, to Marx uh, in the work that she's done. And she's not the only one. Um, And so I think when we realize that we are not, you know, we're not just talking about a different way to look at equality. We're actually talking about a way to have power over other people and to coerce them into thinking a certain way. You know, I think that begins to explain a great deal, right? I mean, because, you know, it's certainly tempting, right, for people to want that kind of power. Um, But that is why. In the United States, the our creed, right, that then our national creed and our our identity uh, is one that simply could not coexist with discrimination, right? Um, it, it simply could not e- exist with uh, with racism. It was very painful. It was very hard for those uh, who helped to accomplish what we have today, which again it may not be perfect, right? I mean, racism is a sad fact of the fallen world that we live in. I mean, I wish I could say that we could get rid of it everywhere, but it's just is a part of of fallen humanity. That doesn't mean that we should be complacent. It just means that we need to have a a set of objective truths, right? We have to have a, a system of representative government that allows us to um get rid of it when we find it right culturally we should condemn it and uh as a nation and, and uh, in our government we should um uh, make it uh make it something that is it ca- cannot be cannot happen
0: no we have to turn around and go back to the original thought of content of character and that's what built our nation people turned around and said I want to try to do this. I'm going to strive to do that. And if they succeeded, we cheered them. If they started to fail, if we could give them a hand up, we would. It didn't matter who they were. You know, the West was opened by people of all different ethnicities and races. But, you know, instead of embracing our history and realizing how we have evolved as a nation, but instead we've got a group in power now, That's the whole thing. You were correct. It is all about control and power. If you take away our moral values, if you pit one class against another, they're going to be too busy fighting amongst ourselves and forgetting to worship the God, our faith. Take that away. Take away the sense of community. You pit each other against, and you'll stay in power forever. It will be 1984 today.
5: Well, and you're absolutely right, and I, I think that's why i am I am encouraged by many of the the responses from state lawmakers to what's going on with this critical race theory in schools. I think much of the many of the proposals that I have seen um are are saying that uh, teachers and students should not be compelled to believe one race is superior to another, or compelled to believe that based on an immutable characteristic right so race, gender. Um, country of origin that that any of uh, those characteristics are somehow superior to uh, to any of the others, so I think that this idea that we should have in in policy policymakers saying, Hey, look educators, you cannot be telling students that one race is better than another and and I think that 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 is different than saying, Well, we just need to ban critical race theory in schools or we need to ban the communist manifesto which I mean, look, in, in humanities class, many people were, will remember reading that, either in high school or college. I mean, the, the content that came from or aligns with critical theory has been found in schools for, for decades. Uh, so it's not a, not a matter of limiting speech. It's a matter of, of telling public officials that they shouldn't be coercing others into believing a certain way or affirming certain beliefs, especially if those beliefs are that we should treat people differently based on the color of their skin?
0: Well, you know, the Black Lives Matter curriculum in the schools, the critical race theory, they're teaching it to kids very, very young. These minds are very, very malleable. Now, you've got an adult, someone that they look up to, someone that they will imitate and repeat what they say. So if you tell a child of five or six, because you're white, you're going to be inferior, you owe everyone else in this room something, that child will live that way for the rest of their life. And this is the dangerous part of that critical race theory being taught in our schools.
5: Well, absolutely. I mean, the children are so impressionable. And, you know, your time in school, especially as you... Are in elementary school and middle school, um, you know, it it, it makes um, it makes lasting impressions that we'll have for the rest of our lives. So it's important at those at those young ages um, uh, to be teaching the the ideas that that the civil rights movement uh, made so important to American culture. Right, the ideas, like you were saying, of colorblindness, of meritocracy, uh, not because we will eliminate any any racism ever, right? I mean, again, this that's a humanity, sadly, is, is going to be burdened with that. But we should be ready to condemn it, right? We should be ready um, to not only say that this is um, uh, this will not stand in culture, but our government should say this, uh, this will not stand uh, in the court of law either.
0: Yeah, there's, there's so many things that we could go falling into this one, because there have been lawsuits where an individual was sued because they would not date someone because they were of the same gender, or the lawsuit would say, well, because I'm of a di- different race. Well, you have, you're have you a human being. You end up being attracted to whomever you are attracted to. That doesn't change. You can't force me to be with someone if there's no physical and uh, mental attraction. But this is how far they're willing to go, to guilt someone, saying, all right, you're not going to date me because I'm black. That's your whiteness talking to you. You're not going to date me because I'm another man, and that's, that's your homophobic to, to you. you know, they, they're using these things to guilt people and forcing them into accepting theories. It's a loss
5: for thee, but not for me. Well, and you're exactly right. I think that this notion of white guilt rests on the idea that race is such a sensitive issue in the United States because it is. It's based on how we treat other people, and this you know this dates back generations. I mean, you go as far back as you know the, the early Judeo-Christian teachings um, of this idea that we should be not only love our neighbor, but be ready to love our enemies. And that is really what is uh, at the the very root of what racism rejects. And so there's something extremely central to what America's founding fathers believed about faith and how it was uh, so connected to virtues and why a representative government had to rest on those two things. So as you can see, right? Even if we start with this this concept or this notion of race, we can very very quickly, I think, get into some very very large questions about how America uh, was founded, right? And and what the American identity is all about.
1: Kind Exactly. This is Thank the first. co-host. Um, I go to Philly every once in a while, and I was up there this past week, and. It seems as though blacks in the urban communities, and I must say Democrat-controlled communities, they seem to have a perspective on America that whites are behind all the ills that they have ever faced. In other words, if they went to get a a job and they didn't get it, it's because they were black. If they tried to... um, you know go go to school and improve themselves, but they didn't get in. It's because they were black, and the you know school was racist and see that this is what is being taught to them, and um they're really being propagandized and I have to say the left has been good at um getting the black community to to see everything through the the filter of race and class envy. And I really don't know how we're going to, you know, put uh, into that except to change the educational system. What are your thoughts on that?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think you bring up a a tremendous point. I think ultimately the solution is going to be allowing every parent to choose uh, how and where their child learns. I mean, I think uh, whether it's homeschooling or charter schools or uh, private school scholarship, what have you, um, these options are, are vital because they allow a parent to align their values, their what, what is important to them, with what their children are being taught. Now, the, the, fact, the, the hard fact is that teacher unions ha- have um, set up barriers against this, and especially in places like you're describing there, like Philadelphia, Chicago, Los Angeles. I mean, these are all cities, especially Chicago and LA, where the union has made it impossible to even uh, create new charter schools. I mean, they've blocked any any way for parents to try to find an alternative to what their assigned public school is. Um, I, I think that what we what we can do in the interim, though, is be ready to fight this cultural battle. And I, I think there are some who I have talked to who who will say, "Well, we should just you know try to promote school choice as much as we can, and then let things sort them sort themselves out because people will just make decisions right that are that are in their um, in their best interests. The trouble is the, um, as we we need to do that, right? I mean, we certainly need to push school choice at every opportunity, but I also think that we should be ready to stand up and say no to, um, uh, President Biden had a uh, proposed rule, uh, I think about a week ago, two weeks ago, that said um, that any uh, grant applications to this federal grant program for history and civics um, instruction it's a, it's a grant program where teachers can apply for money to pay for civics and history content and the The proposed rule that Biden created says that um, you will get extra points for, towards this grant if you mention critical theory or if you say that you're going to use critical theory and the very ideas that you were just describing to me I, we have got to be able to stand up and say no that's, that that's not appropriate right i mean we We have to have voices from both sides of the aisle. From James Carville to Senator Tim Scott, and many in between uh, who are, are are willing and able to say um, that this is not this is not the America that I believe in. Um, I, I think too that uh, one of the things that it would be so important for Americans to embrace is that even under the worst conditions of slavery and the Jim Crow era. There is remarkable data and research that has been done over the years, demonstrating the entrepreneurship of Americans who were black in the 19th century, leading into the early uh, 20th century. They, um, Americans who were black, built a culture for themselves that was based on entrepreneurship and hard work, and the belief that they could improve their lives even under the worst conditions. And that is something that is um, uh, we should. Everyone should be proud of that attitude and and those behaviors, and we should now say, "Hey, look, imagine what can be done when we remove the barriers. imagine what we can what can be done now that uh, if we uh, now that we have changed federal law uh, to say that discrimination will not hold up right and I think that 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 kind of hopeful story about opportunity um, is something that we should all want to share. We should want to share that, that story, right, and that history.
0: Well, you know, Whoa. then that means that you would have to be supporting free enterprise. I mean, capitalism, capitalism, oh, no, capitalism is a bad thing. No, we want socialism and Marxism, and the only way that can exist is if we divide the nation, we use critical race theory, we destroy capitalism forever, and then we keep control forever. The individual freedoms will be all gone. You no longer have a nation with free choice and free will. We are the choice. We are the will. That's what they want. But we have to fight against it, don't we?
5: Well, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it brings us back to what we were talking about before about power, because you know that is also at the root of critical theory is not just this issue of of race race and oppressors and, and the oppressed, but it is a complete rejection of capitalism. I mean there are uh, there is very much a steady stream of Marxist thought that underlies all of these ideas. Uh, so you know cr- critical theory and all of its children, critical legal theory, critical race theory, they. The, the critical theorists wanted to change culture. That was their ultimate goal, right? Their objective uh, was not just to change the, um, uh, the, the market system. It was not just to change the economy, but it was to change culture. And one of the ways that you do that is you say, just like you were doing there, that um, uh, the, uh, the free market system itself is oppressive. And uh, and that's something we need to reject, and we need to be able to point to a history that uh, Black Americans created for for themselves and for America, right? It, this is something that we should share.
1: Yeah. Sadly, so Curtis, go ahead. Sadly, that history is being suppressed and on purpose. You know, um, I know you said all of us who want this and that for you know Americans, but. We have to, you know, admit that there's a, a group out there, who ha- have a different agenda, and they don't want this information put out there, because then they would lose that clientele or that voting block, and that's, you're right. We have to get that information out there, and, and there are people who are doing that, like myself and a few others that I know, but. It's a hard nut to crack when you you're talking about the black community because they have been so indoctrinated i mean it's it's like going into um, an occult type environment, and if you know anything about occults, you really have to get the person out of that away from that in order to um, detox them you know mentally, and that's a hard thing to do in the, the urban areas because they're there for life most of them.
0: Well, you're
5: you're absolutely right. Oh, I'm sorry. 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 I was just
0: going to say, you have a series of articles dealing with all of this over on the Heritage Foundation as well as Daily Signal. So if they go to the Daily Signal and key in your name or over to Heritage Foundation and key in your name, uh, it'll take them directly to all your wonderful articles and the hard work you're doing. So please go ahead. I was just giving you a plug.
5: Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. I mean, I I, I would just say to um, uh, as we get near, I'm uh, sure the bottom of the hour here, that I, I think that the um, it's even more difficult today because the um, uh, those and uh, the party in control wants to give money away, right? It, and the more that they expand free lunches, the more that they change the welfare system, the more that they change, you know, any of these services that come from Washington to make it easier for people to uh use somebody else's money to, to receive assistance it's harder and harder i think to to go back to this um, very very precious nature of entrepreneurship of self help of believing that um, that our american identity is built around um, a uh a a colorblind uh acceptance of uh, of each other and uh and that the best way out is uh the what we can build for ourselves
0: absolutely absolutely and then of course you have a democrat who turns around and throws a monkey wrench into everything you're trying to do in texas that said there are now six sexes gee and they want he wants that taught in grades k through 12 um Although the Texas bill says there are only two, you think, nope, nope, there are now six Texas. This is, this is what we're fighting against in our school system. When you have, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement infiltrating the curriculum, when you have liberal teachers that are unionized that would rather stay home and collect their union paycheck rather than being in the classroom helping kids that they were supposed to be pledged to help. When you have politicians that stick their nose in where it doesn't belong, We've got an uphill battle, but I, as you said, there is hope. There are states like mine, South Carolina, the great state that has Tim Scott as senator, that are passing legislation that is allowing the money to follow the child. I believe Florida is doing that. I believe Texas is doing that. Red states are doing it. And sooner or later, there's going to be a push in those blue states, and the parents are going to rise up, I think, and they're going to say, wait a minute. How come those kids are succeeding when mine are failing? Well, look at your school system. You got it in public school or you're allowing the dollar to follow the child, not the child follow the dollar. That's something that Heritage is working on too, correct?
5: Absolutely. And this year's been a remarkable um, uh, number of states that have been considering uh, school choice options. There's been uh, a new new programs in West Virginia, as well as Kentucky, as well as expanded programs in states like Indiana. It's, it's really uh, much of it, I think, is driven by the frustration that parents had with the districts during the pandemic. Uh, but this has
0: wide ranging implications
5: uh, for uh, and opportunities for children really across the country.
0: And there's also a movement to go back to traditional religious uh, schools also where they do classical teaching. I mean, the church I go to, they started off just a handful of years just doing kindergarten through third. And within just a handful, they had so many students and parents willing, and plus people giving money for scholarships. Uh, they've gone through and they've actually graduated their first class. And these kids are all going into Ivy College Ivy colleges on scholarships. I think parents are seeing that you know if they're willing to put the work in and keep their kids away from the public schools, they may have a better chance of succeeding, and maybe the bad public schools will fall to the wayside, and maybe we might kill the teachers' union there's hope there's hope
5: <laughs> yes, that's there's certainly hope, there's certainly hope. <laughs>
0: Well, Jonathan, I do know that you do have to run. People can find you at heritage.org and read your mar- marvelous articles and the hard work that you guys are all doing over there.
5: Well, thank you very much. Yes, we're at heritage.org, and you can find me on, tw- on Twitter at butcher. So thank you so much for having me.
0: Uh, it's our pleasure, That's and I pleasure. hope to have you back on again. Hope to have you back Anytime. On again. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan Busher. I've been on a little bit of a rant today, haven't I, been Curtis? Whew.
7: Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> and he's been on fire. Oh, man. oh yeah. Um, uh, here we go. This, this, here's one of my favorite subjects. I'm gonna change the subject a little bit. <laughs> um, All right. I you just can't you, you can't you can't make this this thing up. This is. A Mercer University professor, and this was in the Daily Patriot report. And this professor, uh, Chiquia, Ch- Chan- I, I don't even know how to pronounce this—but hey. Chana- <laughs> Chanaquia Walker <laughs> Barnes uh, wrote a prayer in which she asked God to help her. You know why she wants God to help her? She wants God to help her hate. And believe it or not, this is in her prayer, hate white folks. Can you believe yeah, that?
1: see that? Yeah, I can because I, I've seen it. I've seen it, you know, manifested in, in those that I talked to up north. It's just terrible that they blame whites for everything. And what I tried to tell them, you know, think about this. Um, our ancestors um, were, were enslaved, most of them. How in the world did they, you know, get out of slavery, you know, if it wasn't for whites who were voting, um, you know, bills and things to abolish slavery? We couldn't do it because we didn't have the right to vote. So how can you say all whites are bad, you know? And that gets them to thinking, you know, it really does.
0: Well, she published this prayer The Prayer of a Weary Black Woman in a book called Rhythm of Prayer, a collection of meditations for renewal. Renewal of what? And it reads, Dear God, please help me hate white people. I want to stop caring about them individually and collectively. I want to stop caring about their misguided racist souls to stop believing they can be better, that they can stop being a racist. Uh, She didn't clarify what she was speaking about, but she continues She's not talking about the white anarchist allies, allies who have taken up the struggle against racism with their whole lives. Did that sentence even make sense? She's not no. talking about the white anti-racist allies who have taken up the struggle against racism with their whole lives or even the ardent racists who plot acts of racial terrorism trying to start a race war. These people are already in hell, she prayed. There is no need to waste hatred on them. She continued on to say she spe- specifically wants to hate the nice ones who don't see color. Well, I hate to tell you this, sister. Um, you shouldn't be praying to God. You should be praying to Satan. because only Satan who put hate in your heart. Only God can give you love. Now, if you're praying for hate, then you're not praying to God. Not the God I know. Not the God that you know. And I'm sure as heck that not the God that listeners know. She should be praying to Satan. And this should never have been published in this book of meditation. Whoever allowed this to be published is i i I can't even imagine why they even considered this this prayer. This racist thing in prayer. Please help me hate someone?
1: Yeah, because and, and they I mean, support <laughs> it. But let us say something nowhere near like what was said in that prayer. And we get banned, you know. We are deemed, um, you know, people who who practice hate speech. But because they agree with this woman, you know, it's no big deal to them, they, they give them a pass. Just like all bad Democrats get a pass. Even, even when they goof up or, you know, do something that's embarrassing they escape criticism. They they you know, their ranks, you know, join forces around them to protect them. And ours abandon one another like they like they did well, Trump.
0: Well Jonathan said something really interesting or was it you, that uh when someone applies for a job and they uh, don't get it they blame the white guy because they said, You didn't give me the job because I'm black
7: and I, I had a personal
0: experience. Yeah, I thought so. I had a personal experience. There was one point I was managing a mid-sized law firm. And I was planning to leave for my job at American Express, and I was trying to find a replacement. So this really nice lady came walking in, and her resume was absolutely a dream. The only problem I had was she was far too qualified for the position. I thought she wouldn't be restless. She wouldn't be happy. I felt she should strive for something even better, and I told her so, and I gave the job to a guy that came in that was someone who was learning, and I thought the position was perfect for him because he's on his way up. She's already up, you know, so I, I felt she she had an advantage well over him because she was overqualified. Well, unfortunately, he didn't work out, so I said, listen, I'm going to be leaving in about a week or so. i got to get someone, so I called her up. And I said, are you still interested? And she said, yes. And she came in. The first words out of her mouth was, did you give me not give me the job because I'm black? My jaw dropped. And I <laughs> yeah. said, no, because you're overqualified. I didn't think you would be satisfied. I, I think that you should have a much better job. You should be striving for something higher. I said, I'm leaving for my new job in the week. And I don't want to leave my boss, you know, without someone. I tried to get someone that I thought I could train within two weeks but that didn't work out, but I know that you can step in here in a heartbeat and do what I'm doing. I said, that's a compliment, but I still think you should have a better job than this one. And the people don't understand that. What is wrong with accepting the content of character and take someone on their word?
1: Well, once again, in the black community, they're being taught that whites in America are racist and that this is a racist country and that um, it was never a country made for the black man to um, to exist in, you know? This is what they're, they're being taught and they really believe it. And it's, I mean, this is 2021 and we still have that mindset that, you know, you can't make it in America, even though we have plenty of examples of minorities who have made it in America. And are very successful, some millionaires and billionaires like Oprah, Tiger Woods, you know, Jay-Z and Beyonce, Denzel Washington, they made it, Jackie Robinson. You know, they all broke barriers and things like that. Even Frederick Douglass going back that far. But they're not getting getting those stories. All they get is like Rodney King type stories where blacks are being abused and victimized. That's another thing that... Um, the left users in the black community, this this victimization, you know, mindset. So they think as um, a collective group, you know, of victims, because if you look at the Democrat party, under their umbrella are many groups and all of these groups feel like they are victims and they like it that way. Those who are, you know, at the leadership level, they like it this way because they can manipulate them. I mean, anytime they want these people to show out, go out and riot, they, they raise the race card or class envy or tell them, you know, you've been victimized, you know, by the brutality of the cops. You know, I, I looked and did some research, and, and it seems that on average there are maybe 20 blacks that are killed by cops every year or less, and 90, well, I'd say 80-something percent of those are justifiable, and yet, you know, if you listen to people, we have a systemic problem in this country with law enforcement, it's not true, but they'll never know that, because all you hear on the news is the bad stuff. You never hear about a cop risking his life saving somebody.
0: No, as a matter of fact, when you look at the statistics that Newsmax has been going over, twice as many... Unarmed white guys are killed every year, than unarmed black, twice as many. So, you know, there's got to be something that is is not happening here. I mean, when I was reading those names and I looked at the pictures uh, that are on the show page, you, you have people, of course, all different parts of the spectrum that comprise law enforcement, male, female, black, white, Hispanic, Asian. It's it's not as if the entire police force within the United States is nothing but white guys. I mean, I've worked with Hispanic, I've had Hispanic partners, I've had black female partners, I've had white partners. But you know, when you put that uniform on, you're not seeing color. You're seeing a job you have to do and a public out there that needs you out there to help protect them. See, that's what the idea is.
1: The left teachers. Um, Their followers, um, they have this collectivism, you know, mindset, and everything is about groups with them. They don't believe in individuality, so you know, all you have to do is label groups up a certain thing. It doesn't matter whether it's male, female, or black or white or Hispanic in that group. You label that group bad, like law enforcement, and and that's all it takes. You know, they're not looking at the fact that some cops are black just like they are or Latino or Asian or white, they have, that whole group has been stigmatized by those who are, you know, pushing an agenda and the people just follow suit and hate the whole group.
0: You know, there's that iconic video of a cop in New York city holding the riot line. It's a bunch of cops holding the riot line and there's a tall uh, black guy it, In uniform with the riot gear, and next to him is a more diminutive white guy. And the white guy is looking at him, and the look on his face is just pure pain because shouting at this black officer is a privileged, scrawny, white young female on the black lives screaming at this cop, how dare he not defend his blackness, blah, blah, blah. And this cop is trying to keep his face as straight as possible, and you see the officer next to him, and just the pain he felt for his fellow officer, having to endure this witch's attack on him. That's the sickness that we have coming at us. But talk about sickness. Put your seatbelt on, uh, Curtis, because here we got Sarge. Sarge, go ahead. I know that you've been rip-roaring in the chat room. I know
6: you're rocking and ready. Yeah, you know I am, because it's just such a target-rich environment. I can't miss. All Uh, right. Hey, how you doing there, boss? How you doing, too? You okay with Annie there? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like what you've been saying, man. You've been hitting the nail on the head. But, look, I I read that uh, professor, that black professor's uh, hate screed. Uh, I I was really kind of open-mouthed at it because it was so typical of where they're going. I mean, they are only increasing their sense of grievance and, frankly, their lunacy. It's like I put in the chat room. White racists, for the most part, not completely, but most of them have been shamed or at least concealing their racism to some extent. When you're dealing with these black racists and Marxists, they're giving excuses and poor baby rationalizations for why they hate so much. And, of course, they tell us a black person can never be a racist, so you must never forthrightly confront them, because 400 years, Jim Crow segregation, slavery, and lynching, it's always a narrative, it's never seeing anyone as an individual, never, 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 never. It's always a collective, and then ignoring the principles For and applying the collective to an individual spewing hatred. Always. Because the content of character must never, never, never be allowed to intrude on the pursuit of power by these woke-topians. It's an impediment to what they want to do. We are facing, I think, an unparalleled philosophical and ideological concept upon our way of life and our notion of liberty. We really are. We better be prepared to fight it and recognize it for its truly awful, evil, depraved, and insidious nature.
1: And you're right. Yeah. Because if they would see people as individuals, then they would know there are bad apples in just about every group. So you wouldn't blame the whole group. But that's not the way they see it, you know. They look at it as if there's one bad cop, they're all bad. There, well, actually, uh, you know, like most of the people all... say
6: that, the people that got marched in the streets, putting the ACABs all over the place, they're like useful idiots. They're the shock troops, the storm troopers running around out there. The ones who were behind it, the, the brains, the, the, okay. some of whom are very smart in the sense that Lenin was very smart, the very insidiously, man. evilly, diabolically smart. They're not useful idiots. They understand what the are do. The useful idiots oh, yeah. swallow that nonsense, but they are simply after the pursuit of power. Power, by any means. A usurpation of the institutions that exist. I mean, we, we, I, I don't think it is possible to overstate the extent to which the tentacles of this agenda reach into everything. They have infiltrated literally every major institution in this culture. They've gotten yes, into they the have. armed force now, for God's sake. They yeah, have. this is doing critical race theory now. And they're
0: teaching it in the armed forces. The Air Force started it, and it's going all the way through all the different
6: services. It is yeah. absolutely frightening. And is, it, 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 it it's, it's, it's becoming an ideological – the armed forces is becoming nothing more than an ideological, ideological assertion. Combat efficiency is being relegated to second or third place. That is what's yes. really frightening because their job is to protect this nation – and defend this nation's national security interests. I don't believe that's the case anymore, at least not at the leadership level. Yeah, there are, of course, always going to be professionals who understand what the purpose of the armed forces is. I'm talking about the people who are appointed to lead it by this regime we've got in the White House right now. They don't see it as the reason for its existence is closed with destroy the enemy and oppose the enemies of the United States and its legitimate national security interests. They see it as a social experiment and petri dish for their wicked ideological agenda. I've never seen anything like it. I swear to God I haven't. And I never thought it would exist in our lifetimes.
1: Yep, and then they're pushing this 1619 project where, you know, they say, you know, the American history began with the arrival of slaves. You know, I mean, nothing gets past these guys, you know. They will do whatever it takes to, to push their whatever. agenda forward.
6: Whatever. I mean, you, you say to yourself that, um, you know, you're we're, we're looking at a purge. We're looking at a purge, a purge of the armed forces, a purge. It's a Stalinist yeah. purge right out of 1937 in the USSR.
0: Absolutely. Just an American Absolutely. version of it. No sooner did President Obama take office, the purge began. Actually, I was it probably started under Bush, but it just went yeah. into hyper gear on steroids under Obama, and now it's steroids on steroids. And unfortunately, yeah. it will it'll break down our our ability to defend ourselves. But that's the whole point: leave us wide open so that we will need someone else, say like China, to defend us. <laughs> Instead of we defending everyone from China, what what other thing would they want? The total destruction of the United States of America as we believe it should be, as a democratically elected republic. But no, yeah, think, they want to think take about away our
6: these Perfume princes in charge of the service academies, where leaders are turned out. You know where that we got the leader of the service academies, like when you you get. These massacres committed by, like, Major Nadal Hassan, just think about it, a field-grade officer who committed a massacre of his fellow soldiers at a military post. And then you have the Chief of Staff of the Army, Chief of Staff of the Joint Chief of Staff, actually saying that what he fears most is a blow to the diversity notions currently uh, uh, de rigueur in the armed forces. I, I I just sat there open mouthed when I heard this fool say this, the four star general.
0: Alright, how can you be combat I you ready? Do if you're, I don't know. How can you be combat ready if you're someone that has to be constantly on hormones because you're going a under a gender transition? Uh, excuse me, you need to be near a medical facility at all times. How are you going to be combat ready? But no, that, no, no we, we need to do this social project. You have to understand. No, I don't. The purpose of the armed forces is to defend this nation, to be at a moment's notice, be able to pick up their weapon and be in the field and firing at the enemy. I don't need to wait to find out you have to powder your nose to, and, and get your hormone shot before you can go out into the field. And well, I got to go say you can um, stay
6: only 12 hours. Yeah, I got news for you, uh, uh, Annie. Um, you do know that the armed forces are going to be infinitely more combat ready with many, many, many soldiers using maternity suits to fight.
1: I oh, mean, have you uh, if well, not, I...
6: not known this ancient military concept that goes back, oh, far beyond the Roman Empire and the Greek phalanx? Women in maternity, needing maternity clothes, is actually a way to enhance combat readiness, and large numbers of them as well. I think you better get with a new program.
0: And and how well they fit in combat. They have a history of armies that have done this. Yeah. And how well they fit into the cockpit of a fighter plane. Yeah, I can see them trying to get the joystick over their belly. Uh, That ain't going to work too well either.
6: As we all know, like I said, the history of the armies and military history is replete, with armies clad in swaddling clothes and maternity suits.
0: Well, Sarge, I want to thank you for the call, and we're down to our last few minutes here. Uh, it was always fun when you do that because I, I kind of figure I know it's going to come out of your mouth, but you always, you always surprise me. <laughs> you always yeah, do.
6: well, you know, I've got so much practice at it lately. Like I said, unfortunately, <laughs> there's just so many targets you can't miss. <laughs> and next time, answer your uh, Skype messages, okay? Yeah. Oh yes, ma'am, I shall. Uh frequent you know, I'm just not a very big social media uh um Maven. And I just Sorry
0: don't consult it
6: enough. I mean I just can't get that's one thing I just can't get with is social media. But well, I'm gonna try to do better.
0: Well then send me your yeah, email okay. address so at least I can reach out to you. Sorry, thank Roger. you so much. And, and have a happy
6: fourth. Have a fifth on the fourth. Uh, you too, Uh couldn't say that But I we'll, uh, hope to be in contact with you before that
0: <laughs> Okay Take care, Sarge All right. Gosh, I've known that guy now about 10 years Anyway, Curtis um, We'll be back here next week on uh, Oh jeez, it is already May 1st um, We have May Ron 7th?
7: Edwards
0: yeah. May, May 7th, you're right, correct May 7th, wow, we're already into May um, Matter of fact, Monday is my husband's birthday uh, That's going to be a really interesting day Um, We're going to be with Ron Edwards uh, with the Edwards Report. Uh, He'll be joining us. A lot of people have listened to Tim Tapp here on Blog Talk Radio. He does the Edwards Report, the Edwards Notes or whatever he calls it, with Tim. Uh, And he has his own show uh, five days a week. And, Curtis, you are going to be a guest. When are you going to be showing up on his show? Do you know the date?
1: Sunday, 3 o'clock, something like that, this upcoming Sunday.
0: Okay. Well, I hope I can be online because I can never guarantee what I do <clears throat> in the afternoons with with everything going on in this house with Julian Walkers. Uh, we may have, and I'm trying to get it completely confirmed. Uh, Vernon Jones, who is running for Senate out of the state of Georgia, uh, you remember he's the one that switched from the Democratic Party into the Republican and has been hitting all of the Newsmax and Fox News oh, and yeah. everything else. In, Vernon Jones, uh, out of Georgia. I love those Georgia Republicans. Um, he may be with us. And then I know we're already starting to book into the following week. Uh, and, um, oh, Greg Roman is should be with us in two weeks. He was, should have been with us today, but he had a last minute where he had to leave the country. He got chased out. No, he didn't. <laughs> he had to take a trip real fast. But he will be back and hopefully with us the following week. I want to thank everyone for uh, joining us. And I hope to see you all back here um, next week. We did finally get the video up and working. My new computer is up and working. I was able to get the programs I needed loaded up successfully up on YouTube and Facebook. And I'm still screwing up the graphics, getting to change the pictures. But one of these days, I'll get it timed right. Oh,
7: yeah. <laughs>
0: but... Uh, please check out our website, which is the name of the show, Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle. And on the Southern Sense, I have a new icon for My Patriot Foods. Click on that and check out the products. They've got some new lines out there. Um, Lord knows what's going to happen, if they're going to extend this pandemic or what the heck Biden's going to do to this nation. So I say be prepared. Get some of My Patriot Foods. Stockpile it. They have now these new containers, ammo containers, that you can keep them in. They're really cool, so you don't have to worry like I did. I had a rat get into some of my food, so I had to throw it out. I have to replace it. But check out our website, Southern Cents. Put a dash in the middle, and check out My Patriot Food. Click on the icon and go through to their website and uh, buy something. Okay? Until then, I'm going to leave you with uh, Dirty Uncles and the Face of the New Democracy. So I say until then, good night and God bless.
2: If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan.
8: Those who vote
4: Most transparent administration in history not even a smidgen of corruption
3: fact is we had four dead Americans what difference at this point does it make
6: if you've got a business you didn't build that